action in the street is exciting But Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting I've been reading and writing We need to handle our financial situation Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? I'm past patiently waiting and passionately Smashing every expectation, every action To act of creation I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow For the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's deep dive, we will be focusing on the first two songs in Act 2, songs number 25 and 26. That's What Did I Miss and Cabinet Battle Number 1. As per usual, though, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter how or where you have experienced Hamilton before, this is the perfect place for you to be. As always, before we get going here, it's just a good time to remind everyone that Let's Dive Deep always may contain adult content, such as showing people where their shoes can fit. If you would like not to discuss, if you would like to not I don't know what I'm trying to say here other than this podcast is for adults. Don't listen to it around kids. You've been warned. And here's what I'm trying to say is that Hamilton also contains spoilers. While our focus each episode is a specific set of songs, we will still be taking into account the entire musical to add context to our discussion. If you are enjoying this podcast, please head over to your podcast app, whichever one you're listening to this. Find the review system. Sometimes it's stars, sometimes it's written, sometimes it's a little slider. I have no idea. Leave us a review, write a little comment, tell tell your friends about the podcast, whatever you got to do to get it out to more people. Every week, more people listen to it than the week before. There hasn't been a single week so far in our Hamilton run where less people have listened to the podcast than the week before. So you guys are doing an amazing job and we appreciate it a lot. So make sure we are still doing those types of things to get the podcast out there. I also did a deep dive on the first season of Bridgerton. You might want to check out if you would like to search Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton in that same podcatcher that you're already at to leave the review. And finally, do not throw away your shot. We have been getting some quality for the first time in let's dive deep hamilton history i can report at the beginning of a podcast episode that we have been receiving some quality emails from multiple people and it's been amazing so feel free to send in your emails we got so much good feedback and content in there we like to read them we like to bring them up on the podcast we like the first thing that happened this week is we were like oh we got to do more q a episodes with some of these like there's just so much good stuff there so keep sending that in we also have a twitter uh, at let's dive deep and then the email address is let's dive deep pod at gmail.com we have one person that has sent repeated quality emails marathon emails they are so good i think you know who you are i'm sure you do and if you think you are that person just you know go ahead and applaud yourself we're applauding you we've been enjoying it 
it's just so great. I get an email from Bradley. Look at this. This is amazing. It's always so fun. Okay, so anyway, that is all the Chorin. That's it. That's all of the housekeeping. That's all the spring cleaning. That's the summer sunshine. That's it. So now we are ready to go. Let's kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine. And let's dive deep into Hamilton. 1789 Promise you simply must meet Thomas. Thomas. All right, we are good to go, and we are going to kick off Act Two, which is so exciting to be back talking about the actual like what we're seeing on screen, the musical, diving deep into each song. I'm doing the Q and A episodes and the intermission episodes is so much fun, uh, but this is really the bread and butter of the Hamilton podcast. We start off Act Two with "What Did I Miss?" and I have a few notes right off the top of this song because what happens is you experience this differently depending on all three ways. Typically, there's the live show. And then the Disney Plus and the soundtrack can be kind of similar. But with What Did I Miss, you have like three very distinct ways of getting into the song. If you're going and you're watching it um, live, you have that intermission. We argued about the length. It seems like British people like longer intermissions. New Yorkers just hate intermissions. And so there's somewhere between 15 to 45-ish minutes, depending on where you see Hamilton, you have an intermission. So you've got up, you've gone to the bathroom, right? The, the, you're, you're, you've spent a lot of time thinking about Act 1, and then you sit down, and that's when this starts. If you're watching on Disney+, Plus, um, you have that one-minute intermission. You might have paused it to go to the bathroom or whatever, but the way that they've designed it to be watched is they've given you a one-minute intermission to kind of move through. And then if you're listening to the soundtrack, it just goes. It just goes right away. So there's three very distinct ways that you might be experiencing the song right away. And what I love about What Did I Miss, and it's just such a fantastic song, but it's just a nice, easy song to settle into, especially the first little bit, whether it's the audio, it's just kind of slow but fun. It's like, hey, we're still having fun here, but we know you got to get back into act two. Like we know this is a different act. You got to get back into it. We're going to ease you in. We're not going to do like the Battle of Yorktown to start Act 2. And in the live version, and if you're watching on Disney+, Plus, you have these nice amber lights to kind of, it gives that warm, like autumnal feeling of just settling into something. And I really enjoy just the very beginning of this song here because it works in all three ways there are to experience the, the musical. Mm-hmm. Speaking specifically about that light cue, and the Disney Plus version, I appreciate that they start to fade the stage in under the intermission a little bit before they actually start. Um, and so you you get that introduction even more, even more gentle, right? The soundtrack is definitely the more abrupt way to take it. Right? Absolutely. It just goes. There's no intermission. It's just like nonstop yeah. ends and this just starts. The The vibe of the song is still, especially at the beginning, is still pretty chill and relaxing. Like it doesn't just hit you in the face. Um, 
And I appreciate that. How often is that? And is that a thing where like intentionally for act two, right? You got to ease into it. Or are there musicals out there that are known for like, just, they just don't even, they just pick up right where they left off and they're not even messing around like immediately from second one. It depends on two things in my opinion. So first of all, you have to deal with when a show is produced, right? So if we're talking about, you know, 40 to, well, at 40, God, I forget it's 2021 now. If we're talking 60 to 80 years ago, I mean, if we're getting closer to what we would call like the golden age of musical theater, then you would first have an on-track, which is like an overture for Act 2, right? This is, first of all, you're making sure that everybody's getting back in their seats. And then second of all, you're reminding the audience of musical themes that are going to show up again. They were present in Act 1. Maybe they're going to be present in Act 2 as well. You know, and you, if you're having uh, an, an on-track, you know, these are your big tentpole classic musicals. Uh, Oklahoma comes immediately to mind, right? So a show like that, you're not immediately jumping into something new. Uh, but a show like this, and it, it's a more contemporary musical. It's not that old, right? So we're very much out of the golden age, that classical period, right? You can have, at the beginning of this, the entract is just a few bars, and then you're right into the beration setting up act two. Right. And this this is similar to a, a show like... Um, a show like Rent, Right. Uh, because the on track getting back into act two is just a few bars. And then you you're immediately into the lyrics of seasons of love. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of it depends on the generation of musical and it depends on what the musical is trying to achieve. This to me feels very much like. This is very in lens mode. We're getting out of intermission. We've got things coming, but we're got we are going to let you warm up to it. And since we compared uh since we compared nonstop to Blackout and the Club from In the Heights, we, we can kind of compare this to Sunrise from In the Heights as well. Because that song also has a steady but rising energy to it right? It's not immediately in your face. Now, this number, after we introduce Jefferson, it does kind of oh, take it, off, it right? It goes? It just, yeah, it, it just, does. Yeah. I'm just talking about but that it, first, like, 15 that seconds. That first part, yeah, it's kind of it massaging you, you. Yeah. And this is, number one, really good intellectually and emotionally because it does give you time to get back into the mode of the show. But also, and I'm just speaking purely pragmatically here when you finally start act two you still have some blue hairs trying to find their seats like you just do right so you don't want to start act two with it was i that killed timothy it was me i did it oh, like right. you don't want that narrative reveal you know right there like whatever it is like whatever you're ma you know i cheated on jessica like whatever your your sure, main whatever the, for act two it is the, yeah yeah, you don't want to start with that right after intermission because there are people that still have not sat down. 
Gotcha. So, so basically what we're coming to, to realize, what I'm realizing and you've known for a while is that even people who create musicals have to do parts of their musicals around like people they know are going to be assholes and come to their seats super late. Or like there are good reasons to be late to your seats. A lot of times you just need to pay more attention and I dislike you. It really is a thing, right? I mean, it just is. Now, that doesn't that doesn't take away from the brilliance of really well-composed on tracks. And once again, I go back to Oklahoma because I think that Oklahoma has some of the best-composed musical theater music ever. I mean, the overture for that show uh, is just breathtaking, right? And then the on-tract kind of doubles down on that. It references some previous themes, but then sets up some future ones. And it gives you, I mean, first of all, we sound the bells in the lobby, letting you, we do the dial tone, letting you know that we're about to start, right? And then once the on track starts, it's like, okay, now you really need to sit your shit down, (laughs) you know? Um, And that's no disrespect to theater patrons. I am one, right? I get it. I'm part of that community. And I am going to... Anybody who, you know, Burr's line, uh, here's what I got. My fellow soldiers will tell you I'm a terrible shot. I'm familiar with the line. Anyone, anyone that knows me will tell you I'm an awful audience member. And I admit it. <laughs> I am. I am not like I am. Right. So I'm not disparaging how anybody else watches a, a play because I'm bad at it. I am an ineffective and untalented audience member. Um. So I get it. But the thing is, yeah, it's nice to have that buffer to kind of like get you in. You know, imagine uh, imagine watching Star Wars and you finish it and then you put in Empire Strikes Back and there's no crawl and you just start on Hoth without any explanation, right? Right, that makes when sense. When you get when you get to a chapter break, you want to have either an intellectual or an emotional introduction to the new chapter and in an ideal scenario, both. Right. Cool. I like to, like part of doing this is interesting for me because I just need to dive into like how musicals work. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I've noticed this thing in Hamilton. Is that normal? Is that Lynn? Is this Hamilton? And Hamilton's so unique that I have a hard time distinguishing what is unique to Hamilton and what is normal for the musical theater world. So that's super cool. Just insight on, on kind of breaking in to a a new act in a play, starting this act, keeping with like the warm, I'm going to call them autumnal vibes. Like they're cozy or familiar with them. You have very familiar music. Like you're starting with the bird narration or the beration or whatever you called it, where you, this is already like the fourth time it's happening or something. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, we're establishing the date that's happened a few times already. They're, they're letting us know it's 1789. I did not look at the lyrics for that. I pro- I knew that off the top of my head. Uh, so it's 1789 <laughs> Burr coming in hot. It's Burr narration. There's a few things he does here that are interesting that I want to talk about. The first mm-hmm. thing he does, he adds, it's still Hamilton, still like a bastard orphan, all that stuff. Decorated war vet gets added to the uh, list of things Burr is willing to, to, the list of titles Burr gives Hamilton in these narrations, storming the readouts was worth it. It has forced Burr to say something nice about Hamilton at the beginning of Act Two. <laughs> and 
then he goes on to give us new things about Hamilton, right? Because that's that's one of the things that you want that that opening number of Act Two. You want it to pay off on something from Act One, but then you want that propulsion into Act Two. And following your exploration of Burr here, he then gives us more questions to answer. How does he unite the colonies through more debt? How does he fight the other founding fathers? Uh, right, he, till he had to forfeit. You know, we get going. We get really going quick. quickly. And it's kind of, it's Sorry. interesting. Uh, well, now now I want to know what your question is. So I have a question. This bothers me so much more when they come to interrogate Hamilton about his payments to Mr. Reynolds later. Mm-hmm. But it really bugs me now. And I want to get your thoughts about it now. Just so when I write my notes about it for later, I kind of know okay. where we're going. At what point is Hamilton just not an immigrant anymore? I don't understand. So I understand a part of this could be they, the people narrating this show just view him as an immigrant still because nothing has changed in their relationships. But to me, like this is a new country. Surely you can stop calling Hamilton an immigrant. This guy just stormed the readouts so you could have this new country as well, Burr. Like why? I don't know. Like, because here it's not even very derogatory, but it becomes that. Later, it's like, oh, an immigrant siphoning our funds. It's like this fucking guy is so such a huge part of why this country exists. Can you drop the immigrant part of this? Like, it's so irrelevant to me. I just wanted to know where you are. So here's where I'm at. And it it kind of it might like go back to the discussion from last week, maybe a little bit. But for me, the immigrant part is never dropped. and. You know, it's one of the things that made Hamilton really want that glory in battle because the otherism of being born elsewhere, of not being a native-born American. I mean, he was born an English citizen, you know? Yeah. Uh, and he was an islander, which is the worst kind of English citizen, right? Uh, in their eyes. Not in my eyes. I'm not saying that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> bring Jules back. But the murder is bad. Uh, so Burr saying that, right, that is still how they thought of him. And when it comes up later, uh, an immigrant embezzling American funds, right? Like that is a, like, because they thought that that was part of what he was doing, he inserted himself into the American machine so he could take advantage of it. That was influenced by their prejudice because he was not native born and also you got to remember looks proximity to power you also have to remember that the skylers in the context of this musical are accurately portrayed as celebrities it's not a question of if sir but which one it's a question of i am going to get a skylar and part of that is he needs one so Outside the context of the musical, the Skylers are like the Anglo-Dutch like royalty in New York. Remember that New York used to be New Amsterdam? The Skylers being Dutch matters. And so Hamilton bags the whitest white woman he can bag. That's what he does. Like, if you want the female version of a bag of lily-white all-purpose flour, you get a Skyler. Okay? So he's 
he's elevated to diplomat government role status partly because of his associating with the Skylers. But his competition never forget that he's an immigrant. So I think it's I think it's essential to telling Hamilton's story that people like Burr, Jefferson, and Madison keep using that word. I think it's essential to accurately telling the story in a musical. Right. Because so, they all they always see him as an immigrant. So so yeah. that's where we're landing. Because that's part of it for me. It's like, of course, Burr might not drop it because Burr views him as an immigrant. Would the mm-hmm. American government, the government, whatever the system is, like surely he's an American citizen. Like, does the government still consider him an immigrant as well? Or is it just like that's the part that confuses me because like part of it's just deciphering like Burr actually just narrating that he's an immigrant and Burr mm-hmm. applying that label to him. So if he's applying that label to him, that makes more sense to me. I guess I just get a little confused because surely Hamilton is not an immigrant when he was like there on day one of a country being created. Well, he definitely was. And there was a provision. It's not talked about in the show. And I don't think it's it's probably not needed to be talked about in the show because it does get into like, it kind of gets into the stats are for nerds weeds, but there was a provision about who could run for president and who couldn't. And there were, there were provisions in the constitution for making people that had lived in the colonies a certain amount of time at the founding of the country. When we accept this constitution, you can be considered a citizen. You are, it was kind of a, you know, it's kind of like an automatic naturalization. It's just like, you're here, like you get, you are now a citizen, right? Right. But that, that doesn't go very far towards discussing the opinion of the people around Hamilton. And clearly what's really important to Burr is how these people see Hamilton, right? Uh, and conversely, how people see the people around Hamilton. Look at uh, look at how he deals with Jefferson. Hamilton deals with Jefferson by by saying that he's like all of his French affectations are problems. We almost died in a trench while you were off getting high with the French. He does so much to connect him with France. And this is kind of smart because it's Hamilton using their desire or their uh, their penchant for otherism, using that against Jefferson, you know. And then you get, you set up the opportunity for him to turn that back around against Hamilton. He uh, they think I'm a Francophile. At least they know I know where France is. That's such but a good line. It's such a good line. That. But the yeah, yeah yeah, it's such a good line, right? But the thing is, anytime. We're at, uh, look at America right now. It's barely a country. The presidential cabinet is three fucking people. That's the presidential cabinet of the United States of America that just got born yesterday. It barely exists as a country, okay? And if you, and so right now, having defeated an empire upon which the sun never sets, National identity is crucially important because the nation is just coming onto its own. So what's the best way to attack your political enemy right now? What's the best way to undercut public opinion? 
attack their national identity, attack their individual presence in the nation that's coming, right? And so reminding people, uh, and now I'm coming like, so that's, that's the framework, coming back into how the show is presented. If you want to remind the audience that people don't like Hamilton, you absolutely, if you're writing this musical, you keep using the word immigrant because Hamilton thinks immigrants would get the job done. Everyone else thinks he's an immigrant's embezzling funds, right? And so this is a really good shorthand way to remind the audience everybody is still against Hamilton. And so that's why, it, in my opinion, that's why it never goes away. That otherism is crucial to keep the pressure on Hamilton, right? And it's something that you you bring up really well uh, in, in the notes for today, right? You talk about uh, about how we may not forgive Hamilton, but the musical does a really good job letting us know the pressure that he's under. I think that that immigrant discussion is a part of the pressure that you're talking about there. Sure. Oh, okay. Right? So let's, does that, let's tie that, does that make sense? later then too. Because that's for the yeah, end I mean, of the can... battle. Yeah, we can we can definitely come back to it, but I think that I think that what you're talking about later, I think that that is something that is actually really effectively set up here. Right. Cool. Cool. I'm sold on. I didn't. I was never advocating for it to not be there, but it's just trying to figure out my own head why it's there, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's there because that's how the the government kind of considered Hamilton, I'd be a little confused. But if it's there just because that's how everyone else sees Hamilton, that makes perfect sense to me for all the reasons you mentioned. Just like. We this guy sucks. We don't like him. He's an immigrant. Yeah, I think that's part of why it's there. And I also think that to to the team's credit, building this musical, I think it's also there to remind the audience that the superhero of this musical was an immigrant. And we watching the show in 2021, we should be kinder to immigrants and less bigoted. Like, I think that it it, it serves a dual purpose there. Perfect. All right. In this burn, this burration, we could talk for six hours. Um, we <laughs> learn a lot. We talked about in our little preamble. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, you won't believe how much we actually talk about this musical compared to what you're listening to. In our little preamble, we talked about just the amount of density of material that are in these two songs, considering they're only two songs. Just looking at the lyrics right now, you brought it up already. Um, how do we unite the colonies through more debt? He fight, like we're getting into the conflict and like line six, fights the other founding fathers till he has to forfeit. If you're listening to this in 2021, the founding fathers are like deified figures, right? They're deified figures for setting up this country. And now immediately I'm just imagining them like, like you, you never really think about the nitty gritty, at least certainly as a Canadian, I'm sure as an American, I'm sure you guys dive way deeper into it than we would. Right. But you, you just know, like, I know of all the founding fathers, but I don't, I would have never like fight the other founding fathers till he has to forfeit. That line is so good to me because it just sets up the conflict. Like we're going to ground and pound and this is going to be a real fight coming up. Like this is not. I don't know how, like, this is not, like, we're not all lovey-dovey because we beat the British. Like, we're immediately going into to fight mode with each other. And I think that line does a lot. We got Treasury Secretary, Washington's the president. The idea that every American experiment sets a precedent, that everything they do, every single thing that happens is the first time it's happened. So it becomes 
the base from which to work. Like all of that is fascinating to me and it's delivered in a way that's thoroughly entertaining. Part of that is the genius of how these lines are written. I mean, this is textbook, like Eminem, big pun, uh, the lyricism here, all of the internal lines piggybacking off of each other and then propelling out of themselves. I mean, this is a really good, it's a short moment for for Odom, right? But there's some expert performance here and the lyrics are just so good too. Um, the rhyme schemes here are amazing. And yeah, it's just, it is, you know, it's funny. We were talking about, you know, yeah, we're really only doing two songs today. Well, it's because the, there is so much packed. In. There's no fat. This is all killer, no filler. Like this has been trimmed and it is all like, it's all that you need to know. It's just so well-written. It's incredible. And then one of my favorite lines too is that any this whole act two definitely has on balance more of my favorite one lines. Like it's individual mm -hmm. lines. Act one has a couple that I really enjoy, mostly comedic relief lines. But act sure. two, just one lines that just pack a whole punch and tell you, like you said, no fat. Pissed them off until we had a two-party system. Like, holy shit. Like that mm -hmm. one line tells you everything you need to know about what's about to happen. Like you just have to think, how do people dislike each other so much? Or what would they possibly fight over to the point where like piss off until we have, we still have a two party system since this, at least the way the play is presenting it since this argument that's about to happen, we still haven't coalesced. We still haven't found an answer. Like we are still fighting the same fight because of what, that happened right here and i like that one line packs so much to me yeah and the tragedy for me is that this is what they were trying to avoid the most particularly washington a multi-faction system is the last thing that washington wanted and because of jefferson and hamilton that developed within his own presidential cabinet and <laughs> three people he could have picked any three people and he had two right. of those three <laughs> i didn't realize yeah. it was only three people but when you put it like that like two-thirds of the people he picked for his cabinet fucked the whole thing up right away for they him. did for, forever you know and forever. uh it's still i mean canada it's like six parties but three main ones still similar mm -hmm. big tent parties doing whatever they want to do just to get people to vote for them type of thing like it's not it's the same type of system that we have here, slightly different, but it still happens. Yeah, but it was the one thing that Americans were trying to avoid because they did not want they did not want America to be Whigs and Tories 2.0. They didn't want that. And what happens is exactly that and it happens like in the outer offices of Washington's cabinet because right. of Hamilton and Jefferson. And that's that's the tragic thing for me. The on the surface, it's very funny that the okay. So let's let me back up just one second. When you dig into the details, it starts to make sense, but the details are very dense. It becomes problematically difficult to explain. When you dig into the details, I totally get it. But on the surface, the fact that this faction split comes out of an argument over debt and taxes is so depressingly american and so awful <laughs> like and and on on one level funny right like the fact that they 
they started arguing over the debt and it and it became Hamilton's legacy and arguably one of the worst things that he did to our country you know like i have no opinion or knowledge about how this whole banking system ended up working out cuz in the musical hamilton dies and that's all i know about it right yeah yeah well i mean and that's and to appreciate the musical that's that's all you need there i love uh later on you get that line you know uh uh hamilton's financial system is you know you know it's great I couldn't uh, do it never, if I tried. If I tried, I tried and I tried, you know, it's it's so great. Uh, he he never gets enough credit for the credit he gave us. But at the same time, like, it's such a, just in terms of the power imbalance in the U.S. today, like, you can track that back to Alexander Hamilton actually being one of the the most devious Machiavellian monsters of contemporary history. You know, and so when you look at it through that lens, Jefferson is far from perfect, but you get why Jefferson was trying to oppose him. Yes, Jefferson is you know? far from perfect, definitely, <laughs> especially yeah. in real life. In the musical, he definitely gets a glow up, but yeah, this is, yeah, I mean, this is definitely, this is definitely an episode in the gray. Because the like these two guys are definitely living there and live there oh, the, their entire life, just right? In the right in the middle of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As you uh, as you wonderfully point out here, uh, one thing that we can thank Jefferson for is that he reminds us of Lafayette. I love your I love your thought here about that line. I think it's really it's great. So, you want to talk about that a little bit? Before? Absolutely. I did want to just quickly just at the end of Burr's narration, I really like that he references like he breaks the fourth wall and references the audience directly. Obviously by proxy of narrating a story, obviously you can assume he knows he's telling that story to somebody. But he doesn't reference that somebody directly. But he breaks the fourth, mm-hmm. fourth wall a little bit to be like, you haven't met him yet. You haven't had the chance because he's been kicking. And it's like that hype moment. There's that moment at the very beginning of Harry Potter where they where JK breaks the fourth wall to be like, and now our story begins. Like they bring you into mm-hmm. it. And if you use it too often, it's just like breaking the fourth wall has to be used very effectively and very rarely to work but i loved it right here where he's directly directly referencing like me and you and the audience like you haven't met this guy but like he's so fucking cool i'm like breaking the fourth wall to tell you about him and like i just really liked that intro to him from burr because then when we get to jefferson this guy is just hilarious this guy's dancing around the stage he's got his big purple jacket he's having a great time the way that Jefferson is introduced with Lafayette, I think is really effective. Not only is it a little bit funny for us to look at because he played Lafayette. And so it's just like, hey, wait mm-hmm. a minute. It's just like a fun little Easter egg. But also we really liked Lafayette. We left the like, Yorktown and like the end of Yorktown to end act one and like the, the follow from that. That's what ended act one. So we just got back from Lafayette being an absolute fucking boss and we loved him. So him referencing like, hey, I was hanging out with Lafayette in France and he was a cool guy and we got along and I helped him do something. It just lets us be like, oh, right? Because we, she, or Lin Manuel, like successfully, I don't want to say humanizes the villain because all these guys are in the gray and there's no real 
villain to Hamilton. They're just all mm-hmm. kind of there, but does immediately kind of humanize the villain in effect. Like we like him now. Like, oh, I like Jefferson a little bit. If he's friends with Lafayette, then I'm friends with him, type of thing. And I really enjoy yeah. that little call out. I do I do still think that Burr is the villain. If like if we have to have one capital V villain, I assign it to Burr just because he does tell us now, well in a way, I guess we're going to circle back to this. He admits to Hamilton, now I'm the villain in your history. But yeah. anyway, so so Jefferson is an antagonist for sure, right? Um, but no, I think it, it's interesting to me for you to call out that moment of direct address and breaking the fourth wall because I find that to be something that's very, very common in this show and actually rather frequent, right? But I do, I do think it's important for us to acknowledge when it happens, like you have done, because it is great, and I love that it comes right on the back. the The line that you're referencing, you haven't met him yet, you haven't had the chance. It comes right on the back of you ready for more yet? Like it's yeah, really he's, he's having he's a conversation like, with the with audience, me. right? He's like coming, in, yeah, he's like, with are you. you fucking yeah. ready for what's about to happen? Because I don't think you're ready for what's about to happen. I think by proxy, just by narrating, he's automatically like breaking the fourth wall. We know he's narrating the story to us, mm-hmm. and he knows he's narrating the story to somebody. It's just the word "you" in this specific way it's used. I just, it was just another level of that to me that I found really effective in this moment. Yeah, I can see that because that's different from flat direct address, right? If you look into the audience and you happen to be speaking, then yes, you're dire- you're addressing the audience directly, for sure. But that doesn't carry the empathetic weight that you're talking about using the direct pronoun, talking to you, right? That is different. Absolutely. Cuz it could have easily been we haven't met him yet, we haven't had the chance. Right, you could like it's a very specific choice to to put the word you in there, and I just like to call it out because it's one word and it changes everything in a way that I love so much more. Just like commas can change everything. I think that using <laughs> yes. we there <laughs> using we there would have been disastrous, right? Because that would put Burr in the audience. And that would have like di- like stripped him of his narrator role, right? I think that you're celebrating the the use of you there is essential because if he's saying we haven't met him yet and you can, you can accomplish different things from that, right? Like the audience having a more intimate connection with Burr might be beneficial, but it would take away from the fact that he is in a way omnisciently telling the story, you know? Yeah. Like, because I, when Burr is telling me what's going on, I feel as though Burr knows how the story ends. I feel like Burr starts the play having already lived it, and he's telling everything in the past tense. I always imagine Burr like having a whiskey. He's got his big book of like what happened in Hamilton's life. He's sitting in his like chair, and we're like his grandkids like sitting on his lap. Like, all right, come here. Come here, we're going to talk about Hamilton now. And he's like rocking back and forth. That's how I imagine him telling this. I love that. Him being a granddad with a whiskey lends credence to our unreliable narrator thoughts, right? Yeah, you know, saying, yeah, I, I feel like that's where, like, in my own head, Kenny, he's just in his rocking chair by the fire. He's an old man with his whiskey and where his grandkids just like sitting on his lap. And he's just talking about Hamilton. 
Yeah. So I have a couple thoughts about your next note, but before we get, but, but before that happens, we actually like, we get Jefferson on stage, we get Lafayette referenced, but we get this huge introduction to David Diggs playing Jefferson. And before we get into the meat of like the actual song, I, I guess this is one of just, in my opinion, one of the most charming performances in the entire show. And I love it. Like I just, he, he's electric, he's engaging. It's, it's really brilliant, you know, and the reveal at the top of the stairs, you know, Berg giving the stage to him, right? You simply must be. And that's another thing. You simply must be Thomas. It's like Burr is inviting us into his drawing room. And it's like, right. you haven't met my friend TJ? Well, here he is, you know? <laughs> <T-J>. <laughs> right, like, you're not going to believe this guy. He's amazing. Everything about him. He, he is, he's just electric. Like, the way the character is, like, David Diggs is perfect for how this character is written. Right, like he's electric, he's hilarious, he's sassy, he's sarcastic, he's running around. The ensemble is almost like his entourage. Like this is some really famous person. The ensemble's like running around him with their choreo. It's almost like as if they're like his traveling entourage to show you how kind of flamboyantly important this guy is. Like I, everything about the introduction to Jefferson is awesome, and it's it really feels like he's going to be a true not equal to Hamilton, but a true like contemporary. Like this guy is not messing around. Like Hamilton's not Mm going to be able to run over this guy. This guy, he's, he's, he knows himself. He's confident in himself. He knows what he wants to accomplish. And I like that intro from that part of you too, is you, you can immediately accept Jefferson having known him for 10 seconds as like a true contemporary here. Who's going to fit seamlessly in and not someone who's going to get pushed around at all by the players we already know. Yeah, I think that he is definitely presented as a challenge to Hamilton. And and in my opinion, the way he's presented in the show as a potential superior to. Right? I think that's a decision that we're supposed to make throughout the rest of Act 2. But I think the way he's presented is that Jefferson believes that he is superior to Hamilton. I think that that's written into the show. I think that we're supposed to decide like whether we think he is equal or not, right? Um, I want to circle back to to you bringing up the ensemble uh, and the entourage because uh, I feel that. I feel the whole entourage vibe, but I think the ensemble is being used here as a reminder of Jefferson's slaveholdings. Because when he's entering the stage, like some of the ensemble are scrubbing the damn floor, you know? Sure. And then when yeah. he enters, Absolutely. they all like, they they get into this very structured, rigid line, right? And I think that here visually with the choreo, we're setting up later. I feel like this, and the way the ensemble is used in this number, I kind of feel like we're setting up. We really know who's doing the planting. Sure. Like that's yeah. that that's what I get from that ensemble vibe. Uh, but at the same time, the first time you see it, if you're not like really digging into it, you're just like reacting to what you're seeing. The first time I saw it, I was just like, "He's the dude. 
guy's a fucking baller. Like, look yeah, at everybody, you know, hanging yeah, out absolutely. with him. You know, he's a cane and like, yeah. He's got a cane that he absolutely does not need. That's the best kind. Like, a cane, like he yeah. struts around, does not need it at all. It's just an affect to be cool. I don't know. I think it's a narrative device. And I think that it plays in with the musical stylings of what did I miss? Uh, I think. There's there's nowhere in this show where you can have Aaron Burr or George Washington. You can't have one of them jump in from the wing and go, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, Thomas Jefferson is uh, 12 to 15 years older than Alexander Hamilton. Okay, goodbye. Like, right. you can't you can't have that, right? So, so instead, we use the cane, we use the status... And we use the musical styling of What Did I Miss to inform the audience that Jefferson is older than Hamilton and of and old enough to be of a different era. Right. Yeah, it's something you pick up intuitively. I've never really thought. It just kind of you kind of just know Peggy's the younger sister. Like she's just the youngest yeah. one. You don't need they don't tell you, but it just you just kind of know. Yeah, and that's that's good design, right? Good design is show me, don't tell me. You know, it would have been it would have been tragic if what I had described earlier had happened. If someone popped out and was like, and by the way, Jefferson was born then, you know, you before you Hamilton. You haven't met him yet. You haven't had the chance. He's 12 to 15 years older than Hamilton. <laughs> that's what you need to know yeah. about Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This doesn't flow. It doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't have the no, same kind of vibe to it. Doesn't have the same the same vibe. So, what I really want to talk about, though, if you're comfortable moving on, I I'm I, at any I, pace, slow, fast, wherever we're going. I really want to talk about your thoughts in all caps about Bullet Girl because I feel like. Hey. I, I gotta I wanna give you I cause I have opinions and I feel like there's some frustration coming from you. I <laughs> might be able to alleviate them. I don't know, but like I wanna hear it's, your thoughts. It's not frustration at all. I, I don't care at all. It doesn't bother me at all. I just wanted to point out, because we've made a big deal about pointing out Bullet Girl before and how it's like it's an actual role. It's not like a thing you're perceiving like it's actually It is, yeah. We it's a real thing that's intentional. Right. I just wanted to point out that in this moment, she is dancing around, handing things to, directly interacting with Jefferson. And then we learn at the end of the musical that like every other founding father gets to grow old and whatnot. So we get into mm -hmm. it that nothing terrible happened to Jefferson. So I just wanted to point out the exception to the rule that Bullet Girl is hanging out here, but doesn't directly end up in Jefferson just dying or whatever. There it is. I... I knew, I knew, okay, so the way you wrote this in the notes, and two exclamation points, I knew you were going to say this is an exception to the rule, and I'm here to tell you it's not. I knew <laughs> this was coming. Here's my thing with this moment. Okay, this is not, this is not an exception to the rule. This is a reinforcement of it, because this oh, is, this is the first, uh, or the, like, this is the setup, this moment. This is the setup for Bullet telling King George that John Adams has become president. So the fact that the Bullet gives Jefferson his summons, and here she is playing uh, Sally Hemings, right? 
And also, kudos to the team for giving Sally Hemings a shout-out here, first of all. If we're going to be dealing with Thomas Jefferson and we don't have a Sally Hemings reference, then we've missed the mark. So kudos to them. So the bullet gives Jefferson his summons to be on Washington's cabinet because Washington having Jefferson on his cabinet with Hamilton is going to start Hamilton's downfall. The bullet's involvement in other people's lives is always about taking something away from Hamilton, not taking something away from the people themselves. Yes, the bullet kills Lawrence, but what's important to the musical entitled Hamilton is that Hamilton misses Lawrence, right? Sure, that so, makes sense to so, me. Yeah, so the bullet opening the letter and giving it to Jefferson is signifying that we don't know what's going to happen in Act 2, but Jefferson being involved is going to be bad for Hamilton. And it is, right? That's why yeah. the ham that's why the bullet gives the letter to Jefferson. I, it's not so an exception. I've never I've never once until this moment drawn the double for the bullet girl. I've always just gone interaction by interaction. I've never circled it all back to, to Hamilton before. Sure. That yeah, makes sense to me. That yeah, all connects to that's, me. That makes perfect sense. That's the thing. Do you know the do you know the joke? There's a bullet with your name on it? Yeah. Right. She has his name on her. Right. You know, gotcha. like, and it's like, I, you know, I've got a bullet with my own name on it. I can never get shot because I've got, I've got the bullet. Right. But she, like, whatever she does is designed to take something away from him. Right. And so she empowers Jefferson to then start taking away things from Hamilton. That's, that's why she's in this moment. Much like later on, when she tells King George that John Adams is the president, the Adams administration is fucking disastrous for Hamilton. <laughs> that, yes. That's why she's in that moment. Not because King George is about to die of, you know, getting shot in the back, but because she has to be in that moment because it's about to prove disastrous for the protagonist. Right. I've never, I've never drawn, I call it drawing the double. It's not a good term, but like, I've never... I've never done the double step of putting it all back to Hamilton before with Bullet Girl, so that's interesting. You learn so much after watching Hamilton for eight eight hundred times. Next time I, I watch know, right? it, let I, it. Next time I watch, let it, it ruminate. I will. Yeah, let it that's ruminate. my that's my thinking on it. But like, let it work on you. It works for me. You know, that's right. my. I will watch it. I'll let you know. I think it's making sense to me. That what you're saying is making perfect sense to me. I'm just trying to recall in my brain every moment she's in the musical. But I, I'm assuming yeah. you're correct here. What I love about it is that if you don't think about it and you're just watching the show and you just look at a very talented performer handing another performer a letter, you don't lose anything. Absolutely. Right? You the lose show, absolutely the nothing. You lose nothing, right? Again, the I feel like the concept of the bullet is one of the most intellectual and subtle Easter eggs that tracks throughout any work of art that I've ever encountered. And one of the reasons I love it is that while it adds to your experience, you can still enjoy the show without being hip to it at all. And I think that's why it's so great because it doesn't, you know, uh, you're not required to understand it to appreciate Hamilton. 
And I just love that about it. Right. Absolutely. Um, after in and around after before, just generally around the time Bullet Girl is is interacting with Jefferson taking all these things away from Hamilton. Rip to our guy. <laughs> Hamilton's gonna have a rough next podcast episode. So I'll try and be he nice. Is. It's gonna be one. it's gonna be we get a lot bad. of groundwork yeah. laid that either gets brought up immediately later or later in act two about Jefferson. Virginia, my home sweet home, I wanna give you a kiss. We need to know that he is like, he's a Virginian. He lives in Virginia. He likes living in Virginia, 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 Virginia. Uh, Monticello is a big thing that's about to come back up in the in the battle that comes up right after this that we'll be talking about in this episode. Um, he traveled the wide, wide world and came back to this. We're just getting a, a nice little bit of ground laying for who Jefferson is. Um, some things will get referenced later. Some things are just a little character building. Um, but mostly I just really enjoyed that again, like just giving us this exposition about Jefferson in a fun way that doesn't take me out of the musical. Very hard to do. Very well done. Yeah, it is. And again, the efficiency, no fat, right? We need so much exposition crammed in here and they do it and they do it so quickly. And also with, you know, once again, uh, a phrase that I used about Lafayette as well, just such joie de vivre. It's just, it's so bouncy. It's so, again, there's no other way to describe it except it is so French, like, you know, and also simultaneously so Southern. Yeah, I want to point out, he, you know what? I've never pinpointed why. Maybe it's just because I know he's from Virginia. He has that Southern vibe. There's just something about him that is Southern and I can't pick it out. But it's just like his whole essence is, mm -hmm. is is definitely like French, but also Southern. Yeah, I've always thought that, yeah. but I can't quite figure out which parts are which. But he does such a good job acting up the character to have these different mm -hmm. ways of looking at him. Because we know he's Southern and we know he's been in France for a while. And so having that just be intuitive to, to watch is awesome. Yeah, well, I think uh, what's working here for you is that this is... I think this is the first time in the show that we have a real ragtime feel to the music because what did I miss is is definitely a rag, right? And that is <clears throat> baked into the Southern tradition in a big way. But also, rightly or wrongly, my opinion that it is that Lafayette and Jefferson are the, the Andre of Hamilton. And so getting this Atlanta rap from Lafayette and Jefferson, getting this, this very, you know, Southern vibe, like outcast spillage village, you know, you get that from this character. And even if you're not aware of it working on the front of your mind, I really do think it hits your subconscious as like, we've heard Brooklyn in this show we've heard Chicago and Thomas Jefferson is uniquely southern he's the slower lazier version of outcast it's bouncier it's more swung right and yeah. and having those and part of the reason that you can associate him with being a little more continental a little more french is because it's the same actor that played Lafayette. Like yeah, that's a it's a really it's it's, it's, it's a really good conscious. Yeah, it's a it's a great head fake, right? It's it's the entire team being really smart about what they're doing here. 
Yeah, I want to call it this one line before we move on, just because every mm-hmm. in every work of art that this happens is, I fucking love it, and you have to get the line delivery correct, but every single time I've seen this in anything, it's so good. And that's, I guess I basically missed the late 80s. I love any time, <laughs> any time in any show where somebody takes something that we commonly say in our current time frame, like 2021, ah, it's the 50s, ah, it's the 70s, ah, mm-hmm. it's the 80s. And then going like, I, I, def, I, or I guess I basically missed the late 80s as in the 1780s. I just love it yeah. so much. Um, there's another, there's a line in one of the episodes of The Last Kingdom where one of the guys is talking to the one of the kings and he says like, it's the ninth century, you can't just murder people. And I fucking died laughing. Yeah. Like anytime you say like, it's the ninth century, you can't just murder people. Same type of thing here. I love it every time. It, it, if you want a way into my heart, sneak one of these types of lines into your book, into your show, into your music, <laughs> anything. This gets me 100% of the time. Well, it's so great because, like, this is clearly a period piece, although updated musically, but it's equivalent to, you know, in this economy. <laughs> right. Absolutely. It's so this, good. It's so yeah. good. Every time. I love it. It's, it's a no fail. If you deliver the line properly, it, there's no failing for me. It's so it's so funny. Yeah, it's so great. I also love it. And you can feel um, in David's delivery, you can feel that he knows it's a smart line. He's just got such like this gregarious energy delivering that like he knows it's a great joke. Right. He knows he, pulls he it knows off, the audience is know? gonna like it, so he he really goes yeah. for it. Yeah, for Jefferson sure. Jefferson then moves on. And he had he it sounds like he's having a busy week. It sounds like being a secretary for Jefferson would have been very difficult. His Senate confirmed before he doesn't even like we're we don't even do confirmation hearings in the 1780s or 90s or whenever. Like you don't even do that. Right, you just get confirmed <laughs> before mm-hmm. you're in France. You just while you're the ambassador, you can just be confirmed into your role. So he like lands, and then he has to go off to New York. I think it's nice that they mention that he goes off to New York, implying some sort of distance or effort. So when we trade the capital, like getting from Virginia to New York, right now seems like a very trivial thing, right? Like I bet you the senators mm-hmm. from Hawaii or would be jealous of the senators from Virginia not having to travel so far. You know what I mean? If they wanted to go to New York. But um, in this musical, like, there's effort to get from Virginia to New York. And it's important that we have Jefferson kind of tell us that. So we understand why he's willing to trade the banking thing for the capital later. So just a nice little bit of foreshadowing. Just kind of put in. Yeah. Yeah, I was really glad that you called that out because, I mean, it really is a good setup for the payoff later of, you know, wouldn't you like to work a little closer to home? Actually, I would, you know. Right. It's, uh, it's it, far like for in, in 2021, mine, Virginia and New York are very close and very easy to get to. Back then, it was a much longer trek. It's much harder to go back and forth. Well, similar to our discussion about uh, I wrote to the general a month ago. Well, like we we don't know how long it took. You know, like di- distance yeah. was distance was more difficult to conquer. Then. Yeah, absolutely. so I do. I like the uh, speaking of the I'm already Senate approved that you brought up. I really like the inclusion of that here because right now what we know, the implication there is that Washington says. He's the secretary of state. And the Senate says, okay, cool, done. You know, that was easy, easy peasy. 
complete, done, boom. And then the next beat is all about Hamilton trying to get congressional approval for his plan, and he can't get that, right? So now we have set up part of that conflict. The implication is that Jefferson gets Senate approval immediately, and Hamilton has to fight for it, right? So I think that, once again, that is a lean, efficient way of of setting up this conflict. Absolutely. We then move on to meet James Madison, who is the exact opposite of Thomas Jefferson in terms of demeanor, in terms of way of speaking, in terms of, like, pace. And you wouldn't imagine uh, Madison jumping around the stage with a cane. Uh, he's coughing a lot. He's got some kind of illness. I wonder if Hamilton's going to bring this up rather rudely in a rap battle soon. Um, what do you make of our initial <laughs> introduction to James Madison? Clearly frantic. Clearly something's bugging him. Hamilton's doing something that he doesn't like. Jefferson's back. It's like, oh, yes, we got another Virginian. This is awesome. There's only like four people in this musical, and if half of them are Virginians, that's awesome. So let's, I just, there's a franticness there. What do you make of Madison? I love Madison from Oak, just like, Hercules was just like David is doing Lafayette and Jefferson. We get to see both of these people that uh, used to portray Hamilton's best allies now portraying his adversaries. I, I love the nod to Madison not being in very good shape. Uh, I think the only person that was more chronically sick than Madison might have been Hamilton himself because uh, Hamilton was always dying from something. Um, but the, the idea of these two as a, as a union, right. Against Hamilton, setting this up at the beginning of act two is key. Um, so one of my, one of my dramaturgical tenets, one of my like analytical thoughts about theater generally is that whatever you tell me at the top of act two is what's about to be really, really important. Because you put it first at the top of the second act. This is not always true, but it's just something I look out for. So like if I'm reading a script and someone tells me something new at the beginning of the second act, then I need to keep track of that, right? So when we're presented with, Ham with Madison and Jefferson against Hamilton in the middle of this song, that's important. And also, look at how important Madison is. When he enters, he takes over the musical energy of Jefferson's top of Act Two number. We, we go into this really like low-swung, almost a ballad, right? And we, and we do everything we can to distance Madison from Hercules Mulligan. This musical styling is nothing like what we saw in Act One, right? Oh, nothing Compa at all. It's very unique so far. Compare this to brah, brah, I am Hercules <laughs> Mulligan up and, you know, right. like th they're so different. Um, and I love how we're immediately told that he takes this very, very seriously. He doesn't meet Jefferson and say, we are engaged in a discussion over this nation's fiscal plans. He says, right. we are engaged in a battle for this nation's very soul. You know, so we know, right, whether he's going to be a major character or not, 
we know that he really does give a shit about what Hamilton's doing. Um, yeah, absolutely. He calls it nothing less than government control as well. Like mm-hmm. clearly saying that as, as if it's a, a very terrible thing and it, and no opinion on whether it is or it isn't, but like he pinpoints government control as something that he wants to avoid. And the fact that yeah. Hamilton's financial plan is government control, he doesn't like that. And so he is, he is like planting those seeds that, yeah, this financial plan, we got to figure this out. And I'm the only dude from Virginia here who isn't the president. Yeah. So I need your I've been, help. Yeah. I've been fighting for the South alone. And I think that that, that story, that storytelling efficiency, right? Like that really brief way of letting us know what's going on. That is so crucial. Oh, real quick, I love his scoop on government control. Like, how how good is he that he can just do that? Like, that's amazing. Fantastic. Um, it's brilliant. But him him telling us like that's how he feels. Uh, I've been fighting for the South alone. Like, or, or we have to win. I've been fighting for the South alone. Like, you know that he feels very deeply about this, and that's essential because the last time that we dealt with Madison, he was working on the Federalist Papers in the context of this musical. With Hamilton, and, and we called that out. With that Hamilton, together. yeah. Yeah. Right, and the way this show works is kind of unfortunate. Like, their falling out as friends kind of organically happens over the act break. There's not really room in the show for them to explain to us what the disagreement is. We never, like, there's no deleted scene where Madison talks to Hamilton and says, this is why I disagree with you. So we have to have another instance of uh, Miranda giving us this really great show-me-don't-tell-me storytelling. We get this moment where Madison is explaining to Jefferson, this is how I feel, so we can intuit, oh, Madison cares about this plan so much. This is what dissolved his temporary alliance with Hamilton. So, like, this will be the driving instance getting us through Act 2. Like, this is what's going to start it off, right? I think it's really, I mean, we've said it, I don't know how many times before, really effective and efficient storytelling from Madison in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. It Madison just comes in, and, and because he's so different than Jefferson, you just kind of have to listen to him. You're like, what is he doing here? I was having fun with Jefferson. Now you're still fun, but it's a very different kind of fun. Now you got to hear him out a little bit. Moving forward though, we get this first cabinet meeting, not to the next song, but just kind of the end here. Jefferson's heading head first into the political abyss. He kind of seems like he's just going to roll with it. Like, yeah, I got, I got got first cabinet meeting today. I got to think of something to say. Like he's just going to show up and just roll with the punches and see what's going on. He's not fully kind of, he doesn't have all the information yet. Like he's got to get, he's got to meet everyone and like figure out what's actually happening. Then he goes to meet everyone. (laughs) This is one of the biggest alpha fucking moves. And I love it so much. He walks up, he walks up towards George Washington. George Washington starts by Mm -hmm. introducing himself. Hamilton then from behind George Washington off the top rope cuts in between them and just interrupts the president to introduce himself first to Jefferson, which is the most Hamilton thing ever. Definitely can't believe I didn't take this into account when I sorted him into Slytherin. Only a Slytherin would do this for sure. Like what on earth? It's so funny, but also like, what are you doing, dude? (laughs) Hey, look, 
He's never had a group of friends before. He's just so excited to meet somebody. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you need allies uh, yeah. right now. You don't got to be interrupting the president. What are you doing? I I I love this. It is such a a ham thing to do, just like sliding right in there. It's so unforgivable and it's also unbelievable. It's another one of those I think fictional in inserts from Lynn is just like this is part of Hamilton's personality that I don't think is appropriate in period but it's also so believable it's so awfully believable like he would do that you know totally totally would yeah he, I always liked it as like because Burr would never do that ever ever it wasn't right. so much for me that Hamilton would do it it's that him doing it makes me think oh and that's the difference between him and Burr you think Burr's gonna just come and like it's just a small moment and ultimately doesn't matter. But like yeah. Burr would never do that. So it's helping you like draw these contrasts. Oh, Hamilton would just go, he doesn't care if it's the president or whatever. He's getting what he wants. He's gonna go, he wants to be important, he especially wants to be important. I'm sure he's heard a lot about Jefferson, especially probably mm-hmm. from Madison, who's currently not his friend, right? So he's probably trying to get in and he wants to get in there and introduce himself and he's gonna do it. I don't think Burr would do that. So it helps draw no. the parallel between the two. No, he absolutely wouldn't. And it also, you get this great, if you're watching the Disney Plus version, you get this great take from David where he's like, who, who, who is this yeah, guy? Totally. Like, what is he, what is he, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And it, and it already sets up the idea of like, I, this is who I have to, from Jefferson's POV, this is who I have to work with? This guy? Yeah. Like, what? He has the same, it's the same look he has when Burr just walks up behind him later. In the yeah. musical, and that's such a funny <laughs> yeah. moment to call on them. But he's just like, wh- he has a really good face for like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and it matches what he just said. Like, he hasn't met anyone. He's got to go to his first meeting. He's going to think of something to say. Like, it's funny, but it also like matches where his character's at. Like, he's just going, he has no idea who these people are, right? He knows of mm-hmm. George Washington, obviously, or and, like, like he knows who George Washington is, but Hamilton's just like, what? Who is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It is. It is something else, man. <laughs> All right. Was there anything else you had for what did I miss? Yeah, there. Uh, there is another thing I want to talk about, and it. I, I think it's important that we talk about it because we've spent most of our time so far talking about really how great this song is, right? And I think that it is, right? And I think that it's it's technically good, and also I just subjectively like it. Um. I I think that like this is one of the perfect nine o'clock numbers in the American musical canon. That being said, though, um, I think it's I think we would be remiss if we don't discuss some of the controversy that comes out of this number that spills onto the rest of the show as well. Um, And I don't know. I don't know if you've ever heard like some of the complaints about this number specifically. But not I, I think I, I my opinions on Hamilton are just like what I enjoy for me watching it. This podcast is as far as I go in like interacting with Hamilton opinions online. Gotcha. Well, I mean, but, you know, with your friends as well, like I don't you know. But anyway, so here's 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 a thing that we we should at least discuss on this show, because I feel like it's disingenuous for us to just talk about the good things. Right. Um, sure, and, and especially because. I'm I'm a champion of your your honest and emotional response to something 
a piece of art, like your response to that piece of art is true and genuine because that was your response, right? And there's, there are people that struggle with Hamilton because it can be seen as whitewashing our history and cleansing the historical record of these people that were real shits and did shitty things, right? And then you also get into the the world of using people of color to represent white people to entertain white people and it becomes a a kind of inverted blackface that evokes thoughts of minstrelsy and it gets into a really weird emotional place right because you know when you look at the the average affluent crowd that can afford a broadway ticket in america the majority of that crowd is probably white right and so when we're doing a rag on stage with a black man entertaining wealthy white people, it gets into a very vulnerable and emotional place for some people. And this is one of the numbers that really kind of epitomizes the danger that the show gets into sometimes, right? Now, I talked about earlier, you know, I think, I think that the musical styling here, the point is that Jefferson is older and Jefferson is Southern. That's my interpretation of the show and this number specifically, because the show then does a lot to condemn Jefferson and specifically his owning slaves. Like the show does condemn him for that. Right. In, in from what I can tell. And the in show. The rap cont- battle. Yeah. Specifically. And then later, the show condemns Washington for that, too. Right? Eliza condemns him for that. But the thing is, this number with with the cane, with the jacket, with David's energy, with the white gloves on the ensemble, which is, as far as I can tell, unique to this number. There are some serious, like, and then, like, there's a specific circle bit of choreography near the end where the ensemble is around David. This number uniquely has some severe, like, cakewalk, minstrelsy, shucking and jiving vibes for a lot of people. And I am just saying, I get it. Like, I see it. Like, the more... The more I explore it, the more I see it. It's just not my reaction to the number because that's not my experience. And I also don't think that that was the team's intent because it's also a creative team of of diversity, right? But it is interesting. I mean, you just got to admit that it's that it's present like there are like you can see how that interpretation is possible um and it does it does make me wonder like what is the shelf life of hamilton you know what i mean like how how long is how long is the spectacle of the show enough or the emotional weight uh, uh, enough for people um 
because the the more I learn about other people's experiences about the show, I watch it and I say, oh shit, like I see it. I don't feel, I don't feel it myself. I think I understand what the the team was trying to do, right? But I don't know. I think it's, I thought it was just at least worth us pointing out like, hey, this is, this is not, uh, my intent is not to be a Hamilton fanboy. I do want to at least address that these things, these potential dangers are present in the show, right? As, and specifically in this number. And I just want to acknowledge that because I, I happen to love the song. I just don't, I don't feel those things because it hasn't been my experience, you know. Um, but you know, worth addressing because just because it's not our experience, not my experience, right, doesn't mean that it's not a several other people's, and it's worth pointing out that you know, it's there. Absolutely, yeah, totally worth pointing out. It's certainly not my experience either. I, my, like, I just don't. And like, this podcast is my way. I don't have any friends that like Hamilton. Like, you're it. Like, I don't talk about this musical to anyone, <laughs> right? Like, I just watch. Yeah. Like, for 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 like the time I watched it live, I went by myself. It came out on Disney Plus. I watched it a bunch by myself. A few friends have like watched it, but don't really care about it that much, or like they haven't watched it since. You know what I mean? So I just like yeah. am not exposed to opinions about Hamilton other than it's popular and I like it. 100% can see yeah. the the minstrelsy thing absolutely. Um I don't I don't want to take away from anyone's experience, so I won't I I don't need to comment on it. If that's your experience with the show, that's your experience with the show and you should bring that up and you should talk about it and we should talk about it. Um it's it it, it can't really be my experience with the show, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist for the the people that are experiencing it and and with things aging poorly there there's always an argument with any there's always so much kind of tightrope walking you have to do in period mm -hmm. pieces in just even the show friends like or seinfeld like that does not age well like so many of those episodes a decade later or two decades later just really poorly age in terms of how we view things or things that would be appropriate to watch so i would say in terms of the shelf life of hamilton like maybe a decade like, certainly if there are problems that people can start pointing out here, right, as mm -hmm. long as society keeps progressing in a direction I think you and I would like it to progress, those problems will only get more pronounced and they'll only get bigger. Like, there's very few things that age better over time, right? Yeah, Th for sure. Things are, things are a product of the time they're made, and they only ever really age poorly. And so I would say, Hamilton, like these problems that you're pointing out, or these experiences people have, I would assume more people will have them and more people will talk about them and they'll become bigger and bigger questions for the people who made Hamilton. It's just not my yeah. place to, to really comment on it other than if that's how you feel, that's how you feel and you should keep bringing it up and keep talking about it and keep, um, and keep, that, keep that going. I don't know. I don't know what else to say on it, but yeah. I can totally see it. And that's... That's kind of the crux of all I wanted to do as well, because like, I don't want to like, I'm sitting here, you know, on discord, um, talking to uh, a white guy, um, about the black experience the of watching Hamilton possible. Like, and I'm white too. White guy, yeah. And you're, and you're, yeah. And like, you're, I mean, you, uh, I mean, yeah, you're Casper over here, you know? And it's just, <laughs> it's not so much like, I don't, I am I am not going to number 1 I'm, uh, what I don't want to do is is sound like I'm delegitimizing anybody's experience watching the show. That's not well, what I'm doing. Absolutely not. Not at right? all. Right? That absolutely is not. that is that is I'm just saying 
my my view of the show is that I think I think the creator's intent was to tell the story of America then in the voices and with the bodies of America now. And I think that they're choosing to use hip hop as the predominant musical style of the show. I mean, it would be more disingenuous if it was a stage full of white actors. It just would, right? So, but I'm just saying, like, I I can see, I, I wanted to acknowledge that those feelings are out there because I thought that it would be really fucking tone deaf to just have like an hour of talking about how great this song is without acknowledging if that's not your experience. Like, this is definitely a safe place for you too because I, like, I know that those sentiments are out there, right? Um. Because we talk about in our intro, we talk about whether you've seen it, you've listened to the soundtrack, you've listened to the, you've watched it on Disney Plus or you've seen it live. This is the perfect place for you to be. That's part of our intro, right? I I just, you know, I want to like keep reiterating that this podcast should intentionally in any discussion about musical theater, not just a podcast, but this should also be the perfect place for you to be depending on what your experience is in your life before coming to the show, not just how you've seen it, but like what you're bringing to it as a person. Right. Uh, To add to that, to add to that, like my experience is going to be very limited. Like if you think, if you're listening to this podcast and you think we went, Oh wait, we missed something or you have a totally unique experience that we didn't go over. Like that is the perfect kind of thing to email us. And we would love to circle back to those type of things as well. Right? Like this podcast is meant to bring everyone together whether you're a super hamilton fan or you watched it and enjoyed it but you had lots of problems with the portrayal of whether it's slavery whether um, you have a problem with anything else it could be as well like that's the perfect thing to kind of let us know about so we can talk about those experiences to the best of our ability on the podcast because you're totally right like this is a podcast about the musical and that means it's the good things and the bad things about the musical wherever they exist Mm -hmm. it's not just me i like the musical and that's what makes it worth talking about but it doesn't make it perfect it doesn't make it right it doesn't mean it's going to age well right when i watch this in 10 years i might dislike the musical more than i do now based on my experience in life over the next 10 years and so definitely definitely like feel free if you have a wildly different experience to us definitely let us know and we would love to circle back with you on that and and make that a part of the show because it's definitely part of what i think we're hoping to do with the podcast yeah, for sure. Now, it's not it's not your job to, you know, educate us. That's not what we're saying. We just want to know what you think and how you feel, you know, because it's going to this should you know, it's weird because we've got the microphones and people other people have the speakers. But like podcasting is is an interesting art form in that you want it to be a dialogue, right? Like in an ideal scenario, it is a dialogue between you and the listeners which is why we have the emails and the pleas for the tweets and the emails and the messages and all that, because like, it's better. Right. It is better when it is a conversation, you know? Absolutely. So I guess all I have to say in closing on that is that Seinfeld was a perfect sitcom and never did anything wrong. And you will rue the day when you said that you think it will not age well, because Seinfeld is faultless. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> from d connor mcveigh <laughs> are we ready for a, are we ready for a break 
I think a break and then a cabinet battle sounds like a delightful double feature. All Let's right. Do it. You're, you're going to hear a jingle. I'm going to go grab a beer. We will be back in less than, in your speakers, 10 seconds with a uh, cabinet battle number one. We are here. We are back. Beer has been acquired. We talked about uh, ski hills in Vancouver. If any of you ever need skiing recommendations for the Vancouver area, send me a tweet and I'll help you out with that. And we're here with a cabinet battle, though. Much more fun and important than skiing. First things first, I just want to talk about the idea of the cabinet battle. Now, when I do my song rankings, I don't know where the cabinet battles are going to land. I don't want to give any indication where my song rankings are going to go as we go through this because I want it to be fully a surprise when I rank the songs. But I will say here right now that the cabinet battles are my favorite adaptive choice for Hamilton, because we got to get through a lot of tax policy, a lot of monetary policy. This argument in general is a little bit boring and bland, but the, the, the idea of doing the cabinet meeting as a rap battle is my favorite like adaptive choice for Hamilton. So far, like just the best way to do this and i just wanted to call out right now that whether it's the whole creative team or just lin-manuel or i don't care who it was whoever came up with the idea and then executed the rap battle for the both the cabinet meetings just my favorite adaptive choice i think for hamilton so a couple things i'm with you uh this is actually what sold me on the show to begin with because Everybody was telling me, you know, in the early days, you gotta like, you gotta get into this show. You gotta check it out. You gotta check it out. And it was my buddy Fred who told me, like, the hype is real. They do cabinet discussions as rap battles, and it works. <laughs> and that's and that works. is what hooked yes. me. That it was that part. It's that he included that. He said, "I'm not kidding. It actually works." Right. That's what hooked me into the show because it really is genius because this stuff is so, so dense, right? You know, but it's also the other, the other thing I want to mention real quick, uh, my understanding apocryphally, but this is what, what I have seen is that this was some of the first stuff that Hamilton read or wrote for the show that we have now. Like between the early stages of the Hamilton mixtape and like Hamilton being a Broadway musical, like this was some of the earliest stuff because he he thought that Hamilton's story was the just one of the most hip hop stories he had ever heard. And this was one of the like one of the best expressions of that is like how do we how do we take this and explain all this stuff? Well, a rap battle is perfect to do it because you try to you try to respond to what your opponent is saying, turn what they're saying against them, right? And also make yourself look good. Um, and this is just the the best context for it. it's kind of like this is the 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 apotheosis of taking something and turning it into a hip hop musical. It's taking these debates and turning them into a rap battle, right? um absolutely and there's little other so choices good. like that too like farmer refuted is also done in this kind of way where it's a series of letters yep 
like mm-hmm. put into a conflict that there are more than just this like this type of adaptive choice happens multiple times this one mm-hmm. is just like when you read the line just read the line if you don't know anything about uh, else about hamilton and you go the issue on the table secretary hamilton's plan to assume state debt just like boo this sucks like what i don't want to mm-hmm. deal with that and then you get the rap <laughs> at it and you're like holy this is the best thing ever i love state debt this is great like the turnaround from how I feel about just that line on its own to how I feel about it once I get the rap battle is a complete 180. Right. And I also, another thing I love about that is George Washington, first president of the United States of America, assuming the role of future from Eight Mile and like hosting this rap yes. battle is just, you know, it's so good. <laughs> right. It's uh, all of it's so good. Okay. We're into the rap. We get into the rap battle. Jefferson gets the floor first. Now it is canon. I watched the ham for ham on this, and in that, Lin Manuel specifically says that Hamilton wins the rap battle. I've always assumed that Hamilton won this rap battle as it's part of my notes at the end, but I mm-hmm. now I'm looking at this with the knowledge that from Lin Manuel's perspective, he wrote this as if Hamilton has won this battle. So I like to look at it with that lens now that I know that. Before I knew mm-hmm. that, I can't remember what I thought of the rap battle. But we are here. The well, first line. Oh, sorry. If you go, if you go second, you have an advantage towards winning, right? And that's and that's why you often have you're gonna have like you're gonna roll some bones or flip a coin to figure out who goes first, right? Because if you go second, the are the odds are you win. So I love that that Hamilton does go second here, right? And. If you're if you're really doing the inside baseball on how the um, the decorum of these contests works, uh, the fact that there is no bone rolling and no coin tossing and Washington just gives Jefferson the floor first is another thing in the favor of uh, he got Washington in his pocket. Right, because Washington just gives Jefferson the first rap, which means Hamilton has the advantage by going second. So yeah, of course he wins, right? If he didn't win, then he's not good at his job at all. Also, list of people I wouldn't want to get into a a rap battle with, uh, this version of Alexander Hamilton, like, I'm out. Dude, he's savage. Second, like, the, the, the character of Hamilton and how, like, how establishes it like writing is his thing like he's into this mm-hmm. stuff like he's good at it like i'm out i'll lose this you put me first i'm losing or put me second i'm losing this rap battle anyway um jefferson pops up with life liberty in the pursuit of happiness we fought for these ideals we shouldn't settle for less i like this line as an intro to the rap battle because every person listening to the musical has heard these words before and so it gives you it's like the beginning of the second act it gives you a minute to get into it hey that sounds familiar that's that's mm-hmm. something I can I can work with here as we move forward. And then you find out that Jefferson wrote him, which is cool. I'm sure he, with help, there's more people than in real life than there were in this musical. But I found that to be very interesting. I did not know that until this rap battle that Jefferson wrote them. And I like I like, like when you're quoting yourself in a rap battle. That's an alpha move to me. Well, it's a really good brag, right? And it's what you do in a battle like this. Yeah, it's 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 thematic. It works. It really does. Yeah. Um, what what I love is how this goes forward. You have 
the ensemble like in the chair so like oh we're mm-hmm. like yeah get them like they're they're fully part of the battle right because you have you have jefferson just throwing down the rabbit and the ensemble reacts to it and then when hamilton goes he gets like a little pep talk from his people like, yeah, yeah, yeah go get him and i just like the use of the ensemble here um i've heard somebody say before i can't remember that like every chance on stage is a chance to show off your character, even if you don't have any lines or any, right? And I think the ensemble embodies that really well here. Like, they're showing off their characters, I guess. They're not named characters, but, like, they're they're working with everything they got and excelling at it in, in the rap battle because it's not just about the two people. The whole cast makes it just such a fun experience, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Where do you want to move to next? Yeah, then Hamilton. One? I'm just going down the lyrics. Yeah, I think you can only That's, do a rap works for me. order. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hamilton forgets that his plan would have the government assume states' debts. So Jefferson is mostly accusing Hamilton of this plan, benefiting himself, which I find interesting. Later, he's going to mention farmers living ration to ration. But right now, it's mostly about like, hey, Hamilton's got this maybe tied to the immigrant thing we talked about. Like Hamilton's up to something. You'll never guess. You'll never guess who benefits from this schmuck's plan. It's the same schmuck. Like, do we really want to go like, I don't know. I just like that call out because it's a good move. It's a good move to say, hey, this person's plan, it only benefits them. Why would you well, be on board for this? I actually think it's a little deeper than that. I actually love this line because I think there's more to it than just Jefferson v. Hamilton. Because this, you know, now place your bets as to who that benefits. This line that we're talking about, who that benefits is then asked and answered, right? The answer is the very seat of government where Hamilton sits. So it's like Hamilton benefits, yes. But but this is Jefferson saying Hamilton is about the executive branch, the centralized government being very, very strong. But then he follows up with, if New York's in debt, why should Virginia bear it? So like this is Jefferson saying, I'm about the local governments. I'm a man of the people. Whereas this guy, you know, uh, this uh, prince of fashion always looking for chips to cash in like he's he's all about the big man the aristocracy whereas i'm trying to say i'm a man of a people now the funny thing is like jefferson of course had his own estate in virginia he had a plantation and a bunch of slaves I was say, like he I was imagine, not I imagine, you know i imagine monticello not being like a humble farm in Virginia. Right. I imagine Monticello being a nice sprawling estate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's how history remembers him because he opposed the heavy executive ideas of Washington and and Hamilton. Right? History remembers him as this like plebeian man of the people, but I think that the musical really sets him up as like he really was a, a wealthy fop that enjoyed the aristocracy, you know? So, but we get we get a glimpse into his mind here, which I love. And then all of these, one of the, the reasons that I love the writing and all of this, he keeps delivering lines that Hamilton is then going to reverse on him when he has his opportunity, which is why you go second in a rap battle. Because you get the opportunity to reverse things, right? And everything that Jefferson is saying here 
Hamilton is just going to throw back at him savagely, right? It's so good. Absolutely. What I like, so we get, I think I want to talk about these lines more when Hamilton reacts to them. In Virginia, we plant seeds in the mm. south, mm-hmm. in the yeah, ground yeah, we yeah, create. Sure. They, that's more when Hamilton reacts to talk about it. But I like this specific dig at the financial plan. And it's too many damn pages for any man to understand. Because on one hand, fair enough. I, I firmly believe that laws should be as understandable as possible to anyone who reads them. Like, if you're a citizen of a country and you read the laws of your country and you can't even understand what they mean, that's not an ideal situation, right? It makes things hard to litigate if the rules of the law or what the law's intention is unclear, right? But also, like, a financial plan for the whole government, I would hope that it's pretty complicated. This is a complicated proposal. Like, on one hand, I'm like, and it's too many damn pages? Like, yeah, it's a complicated financial plan. Like, yeah, yeah, like your your car has too many tires. It has four. It's like, well, it's a car. It needs four tires. Like, what? Like, I, Funny thing about the that, there's an extra in the background when he says that. There's an extra, like, on the right-hand side of the screen, stage right in the back near Washington, who lifts up his hand and goes, it's three pages. <laughs> like <laughs> like three pages to like if you look really closely there's one of the ensemble members is like yeah it's three pages it's hilarious uh here's the thing about that though in my humble opinion this move was actually really complicated like everything that they're talking about here is very difficult to understand and even more difficult to articulate right, right? because the the United States of America as a country, like as a nation, is arguably like still cooking. Like it may not, like you can't, like you can barely say that it's out of the oven yet, right? The nation, the United States of America, is is $50 million in debt. The individual states are collectively in $25 million in debt. So you've got a national debt, and then you have every, like, you've got 13 states that have combined another $25 million. Hamilton goes to these people and says, we want, we want to take the state's debt onto us, so now we're going to be $75 million in debt, and that's going to be a good idea for us. Because if we do that, then we're financially stronger because we assume more debt. And so on the surface, like at least for me, like it took me a long time to even approach understanding how he could possibly think this was a good idea. So on the one hand, like it's a funny idea. Like, yeah, you want you want financial plans to be lengthy. But at the same time, it's funny that they're complaining about them being long. But also, it actually is very difficult to understand (laughs) because it seems counterintuitive, right? But what he did, the fact that he does win this rap battle, right? The fact that he actually does make American credit competitive, the fact that he actually does it, sets us up for success after the war, but we're still paying for the consequences for it now. So, like, I wish Jefferson had won this rap battle. Right. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Um, the next thing, the last kind of big complaint Jefferson has in the rap battle 
is when Britain taxed our tea, we got frisky. And you know what? Fair point. That was a mm -hmm. big deal. Uh, that was a very, 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 very exclamation points. Big deal. Good thing to bring up. Imagine what going to happen when you try and tax our whiskey. Now, if I, I don't know much about any of this IRL, but I mm -hmm. do know that I will ardently defend whiskey prices as someone who purchases lots of whiskey. I <laughs> want Hamilton to get his hands off my whiskey because <laughs> I enjoy it. And I would like to buy more of it. Well, are you familiar with the Whiskey Rebellion? That's what this is referenced kind of, to. Kind of. Yeah. Ki kind of, yes. I'm familiar that there is an actual whiskey tax issue that happens around this. But in the musical, yeah. that doesn't happen. And so I'm familiar vaguely of what it is. Um, but just That's, in this one yeah. line, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get off our whiskey. Get yeah. out of here. I buy, It's my whiskey. You don't touch it. Don't stay off of it. Yeah, I just I just love that it's referenced here, you know, like and that's that's the only time it's referenced in the show. But the fact that they do bring it up, right, because it does happen and it becomes a huge fucking problem. The fact that they reference it in in this. Uh, in this rap battle, I appreciate. But yeah, it's a great line. It really is. And Jefferson's not wrong. He's suggesting, hey. We have just gotten out of a revolution against England. Part of it was taxes. Part of it was a strong central government. And now this guy, who, by the way, is like, he can't even grow a beard. 26-year-old kid <laughs> over here is like, wants to have an English government and wants taxes. What are you doing? Yeah, it, it like our dude Hamilton also showed up to the Constitutional Convention and was like, hey, hey, president for life. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Like there's yeah. more to it. Like when you add it all in context, <laughs> it's like for sure, Hamilton. Hamilton kind of seems like same, same, but different. Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's very similar, but like it's the way Hamilton wants to do it, so he's okay with it. Yeah. Uh so talking about taxing our whiskey and like the the subtle ways that things are referenced in this number. When Hamilton is given the mic from Washington, he opens with, that was a real nice declaration. Which, on the one hand, is like, ha-ha, Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, got it. But it's a specific yeah. reference to him saying earlier, don't be surprised, you guys, because I, I wrote them. Like, this is such a genuine rap battle move to take what your opponent said and then turn them back on them. And then he just goes off i mean it's the it's the, so good the digs the digs that hamilton is so, given here so here's so here's where hamilton is on another level than jefferson jefferson adequate rap battle partner like did really well here is isn't equal to hamilton in many ways he stayed mostly to the issues he's an issues guy he has some mm -hmm. issues hamilton immediately goes to the personal attacks <laughs> There, yes. there are issues, but to Hamilton, the issues are secondary. He's on. He's mm -hmm. like, hey, first, before we get to the issues and why I'm right about those, I'm going to attack you for a little bit because you're here and this is a rap battle. And it's like, welcome to the present. We're running a real nation. I always imagine, like, what do you think? Thomas Jefferson is like in a diaper with like a, a rattle, like not understanding. Like what Thomas Jefferson is a dip. Like he understands 
what's going on? Like, I always, oh, it's so good because it's so childish. And it's just, oh, it's perfect. It's perfect for Hamilton because he, of course, he would say it this is. about Jefferson. He would. Yeah, it's perfect. I think there's a couple things going on there. Number one, it's setting up uh, or just uh, maybe not setting up, but embodying the difference between these two people because Jefferson historically was supposed to be more reserved, a little cooler. So Jefferson does stick to the policy. Hamilton here is just like straight up going for the jugular, but also him just straight up saying, hey, we we did almost die. Like, what are you talking about? Like, don't don't lecture me. Like, I, I earned my place in the historical record. I took readout number 10 while you were smoking weed with the Sun King in France. Like, you know, I I love it. But at the same time, <laughs> he he starts. He starts with that personal insult. Then he goes into actual policy, right? He starts with the insult and then he gets into the debts and how the union would benefit from it. But then he goes straight back to insulting Jefferson. And he's, he's modulating that substance with insult. So he gives the facts, but then he keeps the audience on his side. <laughs> and he keeps everybody else in the cabinet on his side. And my favorite, <laughs> my favorite part in that whole thing is a civics lesson from a slaver, a neighbor, like all that, of that. That like, is legit. That, that is yeah, awesome. it is like, uh, your debts are paid because you don't pay for labor. That is. And also when you watch the show, when you, when you listen to the soundtrack, and you hear keep ranting, we know who's really doing the planting. There's a certain satisfaction in that line. When you see it delivered live in a theater full of people, that line gets as much of a like group communal cathartic response as immigrants we get the job done. Like that giving having Hamilton lambast Jefferson on stage for owning slaves and being a hypocrite talking about freedom is like so I, I am I assume that there are documentaries that deal with the founding fathers hypocritical dealings with holding slaves and uh championing freedom for all mankind. But and they probably do a better job than this musical does. But I'm grateful that at least in these rap battles we get a condemnation of Jefferson in Hamilton's voice, right? Because we do at least condemn it. And we get to deal with it. We get to discuss it, think about it, feel it, and then move on, right? We get to deal I always, with it. I've always, I've always seen that line as like one last like tip to Lawrence. You know, like, like I knew this guy and he was going to do the first Black Battalion and all that. Like you currently mm -hmm. would have them. Like, you know what I mean? Like that is, I always... I always like more like, in this musical Hamilton's the person that delivers the line in real life. He's probably not the best person to be delivering this line, but he's probably not the worst either But within the musical context, like having known Lawrence and having us know what Lawrence was about. It makes perfect sense that this in the musical would be how he feels towards Jefferson. Uh, yeah, so I let absolutely perfectly to me. Yeah. And that's, that goes back to, to why I think, 
nonstop comes off of the heels of Hamilton saying, I have so much work to do, right? I think that this is part of the work that he believes he has to do because Lawrence died. Lawrence is dead. No one else is there to do it. So he has to do it, right? So yeah, so I think that that legacy stays throughout Act 2, and I think that this is an expression of that. Absolutely. I 100% agree. The next thing that Hamilton decides he's got to do <laughs> is talk about the war. Like this is this is like just it's more about Jefferson than like policy. We're done now. We're going to talk about the war while we're here rap battling, which I like from Hamilton. Like he's just going to every grievance is just going to happen right now because he's got the microphone and he's here. Um, now we got the war, and this is the part where I think Hamilton wins the most. The slavery part, Hamilton wins because we're a 2021 audience, like listening to this, and that's obviously something we like. We can get on board with that, right? But in, uh, with mm-hmm. this here, like, this is where he really wins. Like, hey, motherfucker, you were in France, dude. There was a war mm-hmm. here, and I, like, stormed the readout. Like, I, he, like, I want to keep bringing that up because that's the part where Hamilton actually, like, actively puts his life on the line. Right? Like, high percentage of death in that maneuver to acquire the victory. Right, like, yeah. hey, dude, I stormed the redoubt. Like, get, like, I he he just sounds like someone who just needs credit for that. Who probably deserves credit for that. Burr gives him that little bit of credit, like decorated war vet. For sure, right? yeah. yeah. I was about to, I was about to bring that, that up, and you beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> Jefferson's yeah. not gonna give him that credit. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we're, like we're trying to set up this country. It was me who stormed the redoubt to actually beat the British. You were just hanging out in France the whole time. Probably not an accurate representation exactly, but something I can totally get on board with. Just if I was in the rap battle, I would totally bring that up. Like, hey, dude, I know you hate this plan, but like, guess what? You could have been here fighting for your own plan and you weren't. And I was, so I'm here, right? Like, I like, I, it doesn't make the plan any better or worse, but in terms of like drawing a line between effort put in to acquiring the position where you can make a plan, to actually making the plan, I think Hamilton's path makes more sense. <laughs> well, it absolutely does. But also, there's uh, uh, one thing that we're we're glossing over a little bit is context. Because the context of his plan making a lot of sense and everything working out well for him is that we're in the context of a show called Hamilton and not a show called Jefferson. Because... The French were waiting there in Chesapeake Bay. And yes, we had a spy on the inside. And yes, we had a secret weapon, an immigrant you know and love who's not afraid to step in. But we have to admit to ourselves, we have to understand that all of these plans with the French had to involve Jefferson being in France, dealing with the fucking French. Like... Hamilton sure. wins yes. the rap battle because of it, because of his energy, right? Because of his charisma. But let's not pretend that Thomas Jefferson wasn't also instrumental in getting their aid in the war effort, right? But Hamilton wins the war. He wins the court of public opinion. He wins on stage, right? And in the context of a musical, on a meta level, that's what matters the most. Well, also within the musical, we don't know what Jefferson was doing. They never brought up, like, 
how did we know that the plan would work? We had Hercules Mulligan, not Thomas Jefferson was over in France helping us out. Like within the musical, Thomas Jefferson has done absolutely nothing, which is not true. Except get high. He's just got high. Except, That's but it. Like in the musical, yeah. we just met this guy. We have no idea what he was up to during the war. It's reasonable for us to believe that Hamilton could be right here, that he wasn't doing anything. And he was just hanging mm -hmm. out in France and waiting for, for the war to end, right? Maybe that's true or maybe that's not. But within the musical universe, Hamilton is definitely making a good point here. Yeah, and if you're buying into the Burr is unreliable thing and Burr says that he's been kicking ass as the ambassador to France, then you could extrapolate that into thinking that he's been shit at being the ambassador to France, right? Because what Burr says right. is it's 50-50 as -50 to whether it's true or not, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah the next every line this is another like no no fat like every line packs a punch my next is like mm -hmm. thomas jefferson always hesitant with the president president it's like this is day number one how do you know this like the, the whole context <laughs> is that Jeff jefferson showed up you just shook hands you just did the butting in to shake hands and you're going to your cabinet meeting like, that's kind of the context. Like, what? Always hesitant with the president. They just met each other this same day that this is happening. I just always like that Ooh, line. No, no. I got you. I got your head cannon for you. Here's my Hamilton counseling for you. He says okay, earlier, okay. I, have, I have taken over Washington's correspondence. So he's been writing Thomas Jefferson. Ah. Right? Because he, oh, so now he knows. Yeah, see? Does that help? So he's been writing Jefferson for gotcha. months, so right? So Hamilton, as George Washington, was writing. Uh huh. And so Jefferson. this is just their now they're meeting in person for the first time. So when he introduces himself earlier, he's like, "Hey, we've spoken, right? We've been texting. It's just like it's nice to finally meet you in person, right?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna go with that headcanon because that helps this line make a lot more sense. A lot more sense, follow. right? chronologically I'm yeah. like always oh, hesitant with the pro like, how do you I know. even know this because no no because i i'm following you because earlier uh jefferson says i got my first cabinet meeting today i guess i better today. think of something to say he says specifically today exactly yeah anyway it's th that's my uh that's that's my hamilton counseling for this episode i'll invoice you it'll be fine yeah no worries yeah, <laughs> next up reticence. <laughs> there is there isn't a plan he doesn't jettison like also not true he his own plan he likes his plan <laughs> he, he he jettisons your plans but he likes his own there are plans he will like i just like this line because it's just another line you throw into a rap battle but it also like just not true like he will yeah if you put a plan together that is his plan he'll probably like it and not jettison it. I don't know. It was just always felt weird to me that there isn't a like. There's not. He's gonna jettison all of your plans because he doesn't like you or your plans. <laughs> but he's probably not gonna jettison or Madison's plans if Madison has any, because he likes Madison and probably likes his plans. So I just, I just yeah, but like, he I, can't. It, he can't accept any of Madison's plans though, because Madison's got problems. No, of as course we're about not. To it, it's a perfect like when you're in a rap battle. That's a perfect line. But just in terms yeah, of like, does that good. line actually make sense? Absolutely not. Like that makes it does not. Like, no, it does not at all. Uh, then <laughs> this is my favorite part of the rap battle. <laughs> like so far, so so far he's dealt with Jefferson. He's moving on for no fucking reason at all. For absolutely no reason other than Madison exists and is coughing. He decides to pivot the whole rap battle 
to just shitting on Madison for the last four bars of it and then lumping him and Jefferson together to show them where his shoe fits. Like, this is a rap battle move. This has nothing to do with anything that's going on. Yeah, like, oh, by the way, fuck you, Madison. Like, I just... He's on a tear, and I love it. Hamilton's just... He is a perfect rap battle contestant. Yeah, I... I agree. I think that there's a lot of good things going on here. Uh, I think that the pivot to Madison is not like, it's not random. I really like it. I think it's intentional and I think it's valuable because when you're trying to destroy someone, if you can, like if you can insult their set or their crew, like as well, that's going to benefit you. Right. And also, in terms of storytelling, we start to connect Madison and Jefferson even more as a united front, right, against Hamilton. Because in What Did I Miss, we saw them unified. But now when Hamilton turns on Madison and attacks him as well, now we know that Hamilton thinks that they're unified, understands that they are, right? So it's important that we know that quickly because now we know, okay, Hamilton knows there's a team against him instead of it just being Jefferson. But still, he's way too savage against Madison than he should be. This is just completely uncalled right, yeah, for. This is not this is not on topic. I agree that it's not unwarranted in general. But George Washington laid out the topic, and that was like national debt. Not, mm. hey, Madison is sitting here. Why don't you just like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just think I just yeah. I like it because it's perfectly Hamilton and perfect rap battle etiquette if you want to win the rap battle. Right. But it's just so unnecessary to the actual topic that the rap but battle yeah. is gonna be about. He's a he's a politician for sure. He a, he was asked a specific question, and instead of answering that specific question, he's just like, Well, in my record, I'm more amazing than this sick guy over here. <laughs> Yeah, Washington definitely should be picking up the gavel and being like, uh, objection, relevance. Hey, like, off what topic. The, like, hey, 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 right hand, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> hey, right hand, get out of here. Which, which kind of happens at the end of the number. Like, it kind of does start to happen. Like, he does start to rain. Yeah, so I have a few ish. I have a few notes. Like, what's great about the rap battle is it just is, and so you don't have to analyze it too much because it just is perfect and just is so just present and, and confident in itself. So I just like to make funny commentary about what's actually happening here. So Washington has to now intervene because Jefferson and then kind of Madison, like, go up to Hamilton. They're about to get in, like, face-to-face, like they're weighing in for a boxing match or something. So Washington's like, whoa, 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 okay, okay, Jefferson, take a walk. Hamilton take a walk as if this whole thing I mean I guess in the canon of the show he was calling a cabinet meeting and this is how they present that but like I mean you did call the meeting Washington like this is kind of also like partly your fault like you should have known this was going to happen also terrible mediator Hamilton was way off topic the whole time like you're not good at this moderation bit what I what I love for the musical, but dislike in general, how Madison and Jefferson get to lose the rap battle, but then just get to go, actually, we won because you don't have the votes. I love that because, like, it makes the rap battle almost kind of pointless. Like, it, it's helpful for character development, but it's like, why did we just have this meeting if Hamilton was never going to have the votes anyway? Like, why even have a rap battle? Why not just like, Hamilton, you don't have the votes. Like, go get the votes, and then we'll have this battle. 
But I love that Hamilton or Jefferson and, and uh, Madison, no matter what happens, no matter how good their points are, no matter how much they lose the rap battle, they just get to be like, ha ha, we win, you lose. And I, it's perfect for the musical, but it feels a lot like, I brought up the example of like the filibuster you guys have in your Senate, which I'm sure there are lots of good reasons for or not. Or not. I don't know how people feel about it. But to me, there aren't, to, there aren't any good me, reasons to, for it. To me, it just seems like why does the people why do the people who lost just get to turn around and be like, actually, we won? It feels very similar yeah. to that, where it's like you lose, but then there's some weird rule in there somewhere where you actually just get to win even though you lost. And so I I, I yeah. like it for the musical, but if I'm Hamilton, I'm so pissed off that I just aced this rap battle, and you're no farther ahead. You're probably farther behind. It feels a little close to contemporary politics because the the american filibuster is just um it's atrocious like we need we need joe manchin to get out of his uh and west virginians and fix rise that. up yeah dude uh i you know Arizo and kirsten cinema arizona rise up dude You've got this. cinema don't give me yeah but th- hey, like, we're not gonna my get into politics my my family's from West Virginia, so I'm like Manton. Get the f-. anyway. Uh, so the, the can I do a quick so my, pause as a disclaimer? I just want to do a quick yeah, shoot, yeah. Sorry. What's up? Uh, disclaimer to anyone listening to this: I'm super Canadian, and I just like to meme about American politics. I don't actually have any opinions. <laughs> yeah, about he's the not. Yeah, don't or Joe. Yeah, Manchin. don't take any offense to what he's. Yeah. I I am not informed enough about any American politics to have an opinion. I just like to meme about Joe Manchin because he's fun to meme about, and I'm sorry. Anyways, continue. Yeah. So the thing about the filibuster is that the losing side can like take it, but you can prevent a vote, right? If you control things long enough, and there's and now you don't even have to like actually filibuster. You can soft filibuster, which you know it's not. It's it's not the old like you just stand there and talk. You know it's it's different. Um, but but the Think about this. Uh, the I think the point of the 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 cabinet rap battle is to get the entire cabinet on your side to have like a full court press to go and deal with Congress, right? Like everybody's got to be convinced of the plan, and it's easier to get all the congressional votes if the presidential cabinet is a united front. This is more important in the show because the cabinet is more than three people. <laughs> like this is right. Of this course. is an, and this is Angelica being single all over again. This is a really dynamic adaptive <laughs> choice. It just yeah. works. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so it does kind of feel funny. It's like, well, if, if Congress isn't going to approve, you know, but he. I, I guess the difference is, and maybe it's difficult to articulate, but this is what I think the difference is. Hamilton did win over Jefferson personally. And that matters because government was so small then that like interpersonal relationships mattered because the because <laughs> the cabinet is three people. The uh the War Department, Henry Knox has like a handful of people working under him. The State Department, Jefferson has like a dozen people working under him. The government is small. The Treasury is huge. The Treasury is basically the majority of the government at this point. 
So Jefferson's ability to score victories against Hamilton are personal. So the fact that he doesn't win against Hamilton fucking matters right now. Right? So, so yeah, the, the, the canonical version being that Hamilton wins, even if he doesn't win in terms of policy, sets up that aggro that Madison and Jefferson have against him later. Yeah. Right. I think what I, I think what leads me to believe, like what leads me to my opinion on like the turning around, just being like, ha you lost is the such a blunder. Some type, such a blunder. Hamilton didn't just call a rap battle. Like he was called to a meeting and just performed well in the meeting. <laughs> it's not a, bl- like, it's not a blunder. Hamilton didn't fuck anything up. Like he didn't have the votes before the meeting. He was called into this meeting and he won the meeting he was called into. This isn't like Hamilton. Like Hamilton, it wasn't Hamilton's idea to have this huge rap battle to No, it was though. It was it was. It was in his the show, it's, in this it, musical. Yeah, no, all of this happens because of his plan to assume state debts, the issue on the table. That is all like this wouldn't have happened without Hamilton's financial plan. Right? And that's that's important. This goes back to Hamilton, like, I know the the fighting in the streets is exciting, but I Jesus, I've been reading and writing. Like Yeah, so this, yes. this is all this is all because of Hamilton. So when they say such a blunder, it's because he had this radical idea and he won the rap battle. But they've still got like, you didn't convince us. You don't have congressional approval. Like, why do I even uh, also right, great so Grandmaster Flash the reference of the specific idea of the rap battle? Like in my head, how this canonically happened is Hamilton has this plan and it's a very divisive uh-huh. plan. So Washington calls a meeting together to deal with this. And then Hamilton just does well at that meeting. And I, my, my point is like hyper focused on the idea of the rap battle. Not that this so, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Hamilton's plan. So if the blunder is the meeting, then it's Washington's blunder, not Hamilton's. Not Hamilton's right? blunder. If, yeah. So in uh, okay. And yeah. Oh, I get that. I like that. I actually I, I do like that. What I'm putting forward is the meeting wouldn't have ever occurred if Hamilton hadn't had the blunder of coming up with such a zany idea in the first place, because like if Hamilton has this idea, Washington is obligated to get everybody to weigh in on it. But like that's Washington doing his due diligence. He can't be blamed for calling a meeting because Madison and Jefferson are not going to outwardly blame Washington. They're going to say it's Hamilton's fault. They're going to say it's Hamilton's blunder. Right. Um, and they they perceive his plan to be a blunder. And, and and also, in case you've forgotten, Bradley, it's way too many damn pages for any man to understand. So That's there's that well. too, right? <laughs> right. The next bit, now we move into Washington and Hamilton. Now, part of this, part of this I feel a little badly for Hamilton here. Because I still feel like within the role of the rap battle, Hamilton did what he needed to do to win that specific battle or win the meeting or or whatever. So when Washington comes like, you want to pull yourself together? It's like, like, I don't think Hamilton's lost control. I think that he was very, that I, don't, I didn't interpret like him going after Madison as like a loss of control. I interpreted it like within the etiquette of a rap battle, it felt pretty good. I think the problem is, it, like, you're meant to assume 
that the rap battle, which is a very like feisty and fight, like it's like a boxing event, like it's scrappy and it's meant to be a fight. The, the rap battle represents a cabinet meeting, which I'm assuming has a lot of decorum and statesmanship and etiquette, unlike a rap battle. So I always try to figure out like, is Washington here talking about the rap battle? Because in that case, it's a little unfair to ask Hamilton to pull himself together. I think what he did was within the rules of the rap battle, but within the rules of a cabinet meeting, fair enough, Hamilton, you gotta calm down, dude. Calm, like, calm yeah. it down. I am going to potentially struggle to explain this. But I think that there are there are two worlds existing at once here. And whilst we, the audience, are watching Jefferson engage in a rap battle with Hamilton, Washington is watching them engage in a cabinet meeting. That's what and I so, think is happening. And that's how I've always interpreted it as happening. Yeah, so... Washington is commenting on a version of the conversation they just had that we never see. Right? Washington sees that they need to be much more polite, much more like composed. We see the 2021 version. But Washington is the venerated Virginian veteran. He's stuck in the past. And he honestly sees a different scene than we see. And I, I know that's a bit esoteric, a bit existential. But, like, I think Washington starts the rap battle. And he really is. Like, he's the Mackay Pfeiffer in this moment. Like, he kicks things off. But I don't think that Washington is watching a rap battle. We are. But he's not. Yeah. I think he's just watching he's a watch cabinet meeting. Right. You know? And so that's how he... He has that reaction, but also Hamilton does start going off a little bit. And I like the idea of Washington, the father figure kind of being like, Hey, you can't be the hot headed dude anymore. Like I need, I need you to be a secretary of treasury now. Like I, I, I need you to be a cabinet member. I can't yeah. like, and that kind of all leads up to winning was easy, governing is harder. It kind of like all builds to that. Like, I need you to be an adult now, dude. It's time. Yeah. I, I will remind you that history has its eyes on you. But right now, I have my eyes on you. And I'm dis-fucking-pointed, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, Hamilton's next move, not great. D dunks on Virginia a bit. I don't know if you forgot where <laughs> Washington was from or just... Not not ideal. Not a good move. But I like this comment. Like, so we let Congress get held hostage by the South. It's like, well, dude, if the seats, if, if like you created the Constitution with the seats appointed in a certain way and the South just has the amount of seats you helped appoint them, they're not holding you hostage. They're just, they just have members of, Right, I don't know. It's just always been a weird line to me, like, because, like, hypothetically, what happened is there's a system for choosing who's in Congress. There's like mm -hmm. a system to decide how many seats in Congress the South gets. And it's like either if the South is the majority of the people, or the majority of the land, or whatever system you use to divvy up the seats, they're gonna have a majority of the control in this Congress, Hamilton, and that's just how it rolls, mate. Well, on paper, uh, but in reality, what happened was. Uh... And part of the reason this is a thing, the southern states had 
a a wildly large impact on the economy of all the states together and the like the nation that was right and then the nearest competition was new york so it's basically like you've got the southern states versus new york and so that was on a macro level in terms of like who has the most influence on what happens in the country and then the microcosm of that new york city versus the southern states well, how do you think that gets distilled down into two people within the government? Hamilton right. and Jefferson, right? So that's that's kind of what's at play there, yeah. Um, Hamilton then goes into 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 talking about um, we need or we need bold strokes. We need this plan. He most people who make plans think they need their plans. That's fair enough. Sure. Washington, yeah. Washington. He's the president. Very fair. Like, no, you need to convince more folks like we have a Congress and you need to convince them. There's nothing I can do to help you here. If this is the plan you want to enact, you have to convince the people to vote for it. I think that's perfectly fair. Um, and then you get the James Madison won't like very childish, like, well, James Madison won't talk to me. And I don't know how to fit. If James Madison won't even talk to me, then I can't be the like I just it's a very like you're in the you're in the heat of the moment. It's a very childish kind of response to that. But I I've mm -hmm. always liked it because he is in the heat of the moment. Um, right, right. and then Washington with the hammer. Like winning was easy, young man. Governing's harder, calling back to the Dying yeah. is easy, young man. Living is harder. Living is harder. Right? Yeah. I like how we're too removed so now. Good. Like, we have dying, living, governing in terms of difficulty that Washington has uh -huh. laid out so far. Dying, still the easiest. Governing, harder than living. Well, we have the scale <laughs> from Washington. It's like it's like a grade school, uh, you know, algebra logic problem. It's like, you know, if you pick up these number of people at this bus stop, you, you know, it's like, which is which is harder than the others? Um, I want to, uh, can I, uh, oh, where was it? Um, I had something that I wanted to circle back to, but, but now I've just completely forgotten it. So I guess we should just move ahead. Damn it. Um, <laughs> it was something to do with Virginia, but what are you going to do anyway? So sorry. So sorry to interrupt your flow. Oh, no worries. Next, you have, like, they're being intransigent. Washington, you have to find a compromise. That sounds like a very stately thing to say. Like, hey, you guys go work it out. You get a little bit. You get a little bit. Not everyone's going to be perfectly happy, but most of you can agree. It seems like a fair approach to a lot of problems in life. Um, but then Hamilton with something I really passionately love that he said and something that I think is important in real life. They don't have a plan. They just hate mine. Is something I just fucking hate in real life politics. Like I got a letter, mm -hmm. I don't wanna get into politics, but I got mailed a letter from one of the political parties in Canada and it was four pages long, pretty much trying to convince me to vote for them in the next election, which is like, fair enough. That's a smart move, right? You know, I'm a voter, send me a letter. Four pages and not a single word about anything they wanted to do. Not a single mm -hmm. word about mm -hmm. anything they would do Four pages of just dunking on other. It's like you are like just hating other people's plans is not a substitute for having your own, right? Like you are in yeah. charge of like if you don't like Hamilton's treasury plan, that is fine for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's a terrible plan, but also you are also governing, right? Just saying no, we're not going to vote for your plan isn't good enough. You need to come up with a plan or give like notes. 
Like, hey, this is what you need to change in your plan for us to agree with it. Like, there needs to be some kind of effort put in there. And well, in the musical, obviously, we'll never get that effort because it would take time to explain. And I'm sure part of this did happen. <laughs> and we're just not getting it. Yes. I just want to call out how, yes. how much it bothers me in real life. It's like, because that, that's so fair. Like, like, they don't even have a plan. They're just spending, like, all their time just dunking on us. But then when they're in charge, they don't do Like, they don't have a plan. Like, I don't want to bring up any specific things. There are a lot of examples, but I like that call out because it is like something. Well, I'm about very to. <laughs> I mean, yeah, You're I'm right there to. with you. I might agree or disagree. Well, I mean, it's just like you look at, um, you know, in in contemporary American politics, like this, the sentiment that he's talking about, they just hate mine. I mean, this is very, like, it feels familiar to Mitch McConnell who calls himself the Grim Reaper because he just wants to kill whatever the Dems want to do. You my, know, someone my, calls the it... The thing I wanted someone, to bring up... Yeah. Sorry, the thing I wanted to bring up was the the ACA. It, it did really seem like they kind of just hated Obama's health care plan, but then, like, yeah. they never had their own health care plan. I just... That was mm-hmm. what I was thinking in my head as, like, a real-life example of a frustration with this Well, that's that's a good example, too. Like, and I, like that's, that's a brilliant example. And they hated, first of all, you know, there's, there's Republicans that didn't like it because it was called Obamacare and it was Republicans that started calling it Obamacare. First of all, it was the, it, it, it was the affordable care act, right? There was no Democrat that named yeah. it the Obama, you know? And then he was like, well, if you want to tell people that Obama cares, I guess I'm okay with that. Sure. Um, like, yeah, you can tell people I care, but it was Republicans that it was Republicans that labeled it Obamacare. And that was genius because the, there were other, there were Republican voters that were like, well, well, we don't want that if it's got his name on it. Right. But right. then but they don't have, there's no other health. They were plan so there. No, they didn't like, there were proposals, but they didn't have enough traction to like actually get them through. And instead what they did was they, the worst thing they did, dude, the worst thing they did was they got the, they gave the states the choice to buy into the expansion of programs or not. The Medicaid so you have, expansion, yeah. Yeah, so you've got money on the table and you've given states the option to buy in or out. And states choose not to because it's got a black man's name on it and it's got a Democrat's name on it. And God forbid it's a black Democrat. I mean, that's that that's the worst thing we oh, could possibly do. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh and his middle name's Hussein. Uh so they just didn't, you know, so so they didn't have a plan. They just hated his, right? So yeah, it really does it really strikes a chord. Um and that so it really does it hits home on a very a very deep level. It's important for us to remember and point out once again the show is called Hamilton and not Madison, right? We could probably get on the Wikipedia and we could maybe like find some evidence about what Madison's opinions were, but at the same time I will say this about the show. Madison did hate Hamilton's plan. Madison hated it. He did not hate it because it was Hamilton's plan. He hated it because he hated it as a plan. Madison did not like the control 
that Hamilton was describing to the executive branch of the government. That was Madison standing by his conviction. That was James Madison being a man of principle and what he believed in, not just disliking Alexander Hamilton, right? But because sure, it's a musical and, and we have a protagonist, right? We have to have Hamilton voicing it as like, they just hate my plan, you know? But yeah, it, dude, it's... it. God, it feels so similar to now. I mean, if you... uh. If we, if someone tomorrow, if, uh, if Vice President Harris said that the executive office of V. POTUS was sending everyone a check for $3,000 and it was going to be called the, uh, the V. POTUS COVID stimulus double down payment just to make sure we get out of <laughs> shutdown fine. I don't care what you want to... If, if Kamala Harris sent everyone a check and called it the Liberty Payment, the Freedom of America Patriot Payment, Ted Cruz would have a complaint about it. You know, like Ted Cruz would find something wrong. Matt Gates would find something wrong with it. Right? Because they just don't... Like, it's opposition politics. You know? It is still true today. It's wild. Um, I don't know if Matt Gates would have time to complain about it. He's a bit busy right now, but you know, he's yeah. We're gonna I'm gonna move away from American politics. I will agree. Matt Gates preoccupied. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got some things. A little bit, he's little busy. A little busy right now. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> away from. For, okay, I also want to point out for those of you who think we shouldn't talk about politics, this show is like uh, Hamilton's about politics for like the whole second act. So, so we can't. Yeah. Too bad. Sorry. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, um, the the way this song ends, the way this song ends perfectly sets up, and this is the most I wanted to talk about with the whole cabinet battle. A lot of it's just really well done exposition and getting to know everyone and how they slide in and who likes who. But the end here perfectly sets up the stress and pressure Hamilton's going to be put under, which sets him up to make the poor decisions he makes in the next songs. Now, this, I want to point out now, will not redeem Hamilton. It does not a good excuse, but it is part of it. People make bad decisions when they're stressed. People make bad decisions when their job is on the line. It's hard to have someone fight for their beliefs when their paycheck depends on fighting for those beliefs. Right? Like, it's hard. It's hard to put people under this kind of pressure and then expect them to, to make good decisions all the time. And Hamilton will fail under this pressure that he gets put under here. Um, what happens if I don't get congressional approval? I imagine they'll call for your removal. Now, think of Hamilton. All we know about Hamilton, his whole life, we learned about him his whole life, starting as a kid. Like, he has finally made it. That's all he wanted. He wanted there to be a war so he could rise up, so he could have a station. He wanted the command so he could get to this point. He's here. He's ready. And then all of a sudden, just like that, he could be fired from that. His whole life up until this point. All of the situation with his family, with his first jobs, getting for New- getting to New York, making his friends. The whole war was for this moment. So he could have this station. And then there's a process now where he can just be removed from that station just like that. Washington can just fire him. Right? And so that kind of stress and pressure for his whole life, storming the readouts to get this, to just be 
to just be confronted with the fact that he could just lose it if he doesn't get the votes on this proposal. That is monumental levels of stress and pressure to be under, because this is his whole life's work to get to this point. And so, again, it's not going to redeem him. It's not a good excuse. But it is worth understanding right now that this isn't just like, oh, you're going to get fired from being like a job you don't care about. Like, this is his life's passion to get here. And now he's here and it can just be gone like that if he doesn't get this right. And that's a lot of pressure to be under. Yeah, it's one of those things that goes to answering the question that Burr asked earlier, you know, uh, have it all, lose it all. Like, how do you how do you get into a place where you actually are capable of losing it all? Well, you know, you're going to make some bad decisions on your own, first of all, like you're just going to make you just didn't have to do that. Like your professional stress didn't force you to sleep with Mariah Reynolds, but like, yeah, we do get an empathetic view into his headspace here, right? It does prime us for that. And I think it's a really good observation because it's all, it's been, I think that like, it'd be interesting to, to like chart, to make a graph of his trajectory through the show. I actually think this is his highest moment in the show. Yes. Right. If he you start from downhill from here, right? Like if you start like at St. Croix and Nevis, and then he's on his way up, he's on the lift hill, getting to the top of that first drop right. of roller coaster that is Alexander Hamilton. He's on his way up, he gets to New York, right? He gets a group of friends. Like he has ups and downs. And I think he's got high points later, but I think this is his highest point. This is before things start going to shit. I think this is his highest shit. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really, I love what you're saying here. Like, it's his highest point. And it's also where he realizes I'm on the threshold of things breaking bad. You know? I think that's like, I love that you point this moment out because I think that that's what makes it so dynamic and so crucial to him. Like, so important. Um, it could all go away tomorrow. And it really is. It's a, it's a heck of a moment to end a song on. It's like, okay. Hey, by the way, figure, Hey, this idea that you had that no one asked you to have that you decided to have, you now have to make it work. Otherwise they're going to ask you to be fired. Like what? (laughs) Which is weird on its face. And I, I, like also Washington implied in this, like, and I will. Right? Like it's not mm-hmm. like, oh, they're gonna call for your removal, but don't worry, because I won't remove you. It was kind of like, hey, figure it out. Like, as in, I will fire. Like, I can't defend you. Like, if you don't get this right, I can't. If everyone wants you to be removed, there's not much I can do, mate. Like that's how I got that's how I yeah. understood this interaction. That's ago. the feeling I get too. And I think that that goes into him saying, figure it out, Alexander. Like, I need you to, because, like, I don't want to fire you, but if Congress asks for your removal, I will get another Treasury Secretary. Probably not as good a one, but, like, I'll replace you, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I I feel that in that, too. Um, Is there a... Is there anything else that you wanted to hit in that song? I'm I'm starting to feel like my mischief on it is really managed. Uh, but uh, I didn't yeah. know if you had any closing thoughts. I mean, now as we approach the end of it, I feel like um, 
I want to sit and think about Washington's relationship with Hamilton in that last moment a little bit as it goes forward in the show. Because I've thought about it before, but not at length. But I feel like that's a, a pretty, a fairly deep dive, as you might say. Yes, I would say the fact that we got two and a half hours into two songs is is normal for us, but we got some four-song episodes scheduled later, so I don't even know how we're going to deal with those at this point. I don't, I don't really have anything. I just love these two songs. Great intro to Act 2. Very clever use of the rap battle to get through a lot of exposition in a very fun and unique way. Um I, I really enjoy. I don't. Know, I really enjoy all of this stuff. Everything I wanted to talk about, we covered. Um, I'm sure things will come up later that I kind of just bring in and pull through as we kind of chart. I think it's important to note this is definitely Hamilton's high point. If you're charting, I think we go downhill from here. We go up a little bit at the end, um, but mm-hmm. I think this is his highest peak moment before things start uh, going wrong for him. Yeah, I agree as well. It's interesting to have that at the very top of Act Two, and then go down from there but yeah i know that i know that there's some things that we've talked about tonight that are definitely going to come through in other songs going forward but like i do like i really i love these as one episode i love just these two songs because there's so much packed in i mean this is like a really like you know you've got you've got spaghetti you've got fettuccine alfredo you've got like noodles and 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 sauce wherever they just kind of like they kind of just hang this is like really thick stuffed lasagna or like stuffed shells. You know, this is like, it's all packed in like really tight. Right. You know, it's like, there's just so much going on. I think I'm just hungry. (laughs) After all all the analogies the world could have provided you, I'm not surprised, but very happy you settled on that one because that was a ride. Yeah. I just went on a ride with you. That's just that's where my that's where my head went. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just hungry. <laughs> All right. We're going to we're going to wrap this up so you you can go and eat at this point. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Let's Dive Deep. Hamilton, feel free to let us know your thoughts on these two songs, What Did I Miss and Cabinet Battle. Number 1 by emailing us uh, at gmail uh, let's dive deep at, or let's dive deep pod let's dive deep pod at gmail.com we are on twitter at let's dive deep feel free to dm that twitter account or tweet at that twitter account if you have anything you would like to add on there otherwise just the standard stuff hit that subscribe button on your podcast feed so the episodes like get into your feed and download automatically go leave us a review somewhere tell your friends about it feel free to write like a complaint to somebody that these podcast episodes are too long to get it out of your system you know people like to write letters and then burn them in the fire you get the feeling like you complained but it didn't actually get to us that's a good way to approach it as well Um, but otherwise just thank you so much for watching and listening and whatever you're doing and we will see you in the next one.